What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of White People Won't Save You. This is a podcast where we deconstruct these white saver films and recontextualize them through a black and POC lens. I'm one of your hosts, Jordan Clark. And I'm the other one, Cameron Mason. This is this is always tough because we love Denzel, but he's got a he's got a couple. He's gonna be on the podcast he's got a, couple. a couple of times because he was in Glory. Uh he's in the movie we're gonna talk about today. He's in Cry mm-hmm. Freedom. Which we're gonna eventually talk about. He was in Remember the Titans, which we did. Which so we've done. he's got he's got a couple to his name. He's not quite he, he, uh, he's um, not quite in Kevin Costner yeah. uh status yet. What right. he's a five time offender, but damn right. Denzel. Yeah. And it's I mean, we're gonna talk about this in just a second because there's movies that I don't think get made unless Denzel Washington says, I'm gonna make this movie, right? Because there's people who you always <laughs> see like the casting where it's like this person tried out for it, this person tried out for it, and you're like, I guess mm-hmm. I could see that. Like it wouldn't be bad. Like yeah. we're talking about the hurricane today. This is a movie where both Wesley Snipes and Samuel Jackson auditioned to play the part. It could have, it would have been fine. It, like it wouldn't have been a bad movie, but I think see this, I didn't know. Yeah. And but, actually goes into a, a pretty interesting, what TikTok. So sorry for old, old heads out there, but I heard, I saw a TikTok with, uh, with Michael Jai White, you know, some might recognize from black dynamite mm-hmm. or just kicking some white person's ass on YouTube. But he was talking about how, Denzel can play certain roles and Samuel Jackson is in that same hierarchy, right? Yeah. But Samuel Jackson can play Denzel's roles versus Denzel not necessarily being able to play Sam's roles. Like you can't see a Denzel and snakes on a plane telling these snakes to get off this motherfucking plane. <laughs> you're not gonna you're not gonna see that. Sure, but, but I, I would say I Sam Jackson will do Sam, yeah. Sam Jackson will do just about any movie. <laughs> so my man's got a couple Capital One commercials in the, in the back pocket, if you know what I'm saying. All right. Yeah, well, before we bring in our guests, I just want to say I like how you said TikTok like Issa Rae said The Godfather and Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys watching The Godfather? <laughs> uh, okay, do you want to introduce our guest for the week? Yes, uh, next, our guest this week is a great stand-up comic. If you're in the New York area, you've probably seen him a bunch of times. Or even if you're not in the New York area, you've probably seen him a bunch of times. My man's got a sports show on Amazon Prime. That's right. He is sponsored. This nigga's going to bring us some sponsors, hopefully. This is my man, Drexton Clemens. Hey, okay, first of all, I got to just get right into it. Uh, Denzel Washington could absolutely play Snakes on a Plane <laughs> and do wow. it well. Do it. We'll have range. Be like, I'm so tired of these <laughs> snakes. Or like, and then just and you be like, yo, we gotta get these snakes off the plane. Yeah, the I snake. felt your exasperation right there. I felt how tired you were. I I guarantee you, <laughs> these snakes. You know, like whatever he's gotta say. I guarantee it. I guarantee these snakes are on the plane. And the snakes are probably just orderly, like get out of the, the on carriage and just start to like funnel off the plane. This thing is serious. You're like, oh my gosh, oh, oh damn, we don't want those problems. No. I don't want to get off this plane. Right, but Samuel Jackson, I okay. My issue with Samuel Jackson is hmm. that for the most part, he plays himself, or he yes. plays himself not trying to be himself. Like when yeah. he was in Coach Carter. Like every now and then, oh, the okay. scenes where he thrived was when he got to let Samuel L. Jackson out. When he was right, like, oh, right, right. Yell, ooh, mm, I'm in mm. there. 
<laughs> but every other thing is just him trying not to be Samuel Jackson or yeah. him going full Samuel Jackson. It's it's not he's like the Nicolas Cage of black people. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa. I think yeah. you got something there. I think yeah. you unlocked something there. That's I I, I fuck with that. Well thank you. The crazy the crazy is there, but also like the caliber is there, you know? <laughs> exactly. You you can have Samuel Jackson be in anything. He's a phenomenal actor, but you are gonna get Samuel Jackson, just like oh, you're gonna get sure. Nicolas Cage. That's this man has been this man has been shaft twice, and I <laughs> forgot that it was shaft. <laughs> I really thought I was watching Sam both movies. Exactly. I was like, wow, Sam's such a good pimp. That's crazy. I didn't know Sam could do that. <laughs> Well, I I got a question for us before we get into this movie because I think so here's here's my overall Denzel Washington theme, right? Because mm-hmm. Denzel shout out to to W. Kamau Bell. Denzel might be the greatest actor of all time, period, right? Like period. he is one of the he's done Shakespeare, he's done action movies, he's done dramas, he's done basically He got Equalizer anything. 3 out right now. I'm yeah. getting no promo coin for that. <laughs> so oh. he's he's been with the actors. He's been He's been around, but we got we got to say that Denzel's Denzel's been some terrible films. He's been in some some awful films, and the thing about Denzel is even those films are movies that if Denzel wasn't in it, like nobody would even remember that that was a movie that existed, right? So like I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if either of you have seen uh, Ricochet. No, Which I is, have not seen Ricochet in its entirety. I've seen a lot of that movie, though. It, and that fucking, movie is actually batshit, and it deserves our attention. <laughs> it's so insane. It's one of the craziest movies. Because when I started watching it, it's one of those, like, because Denzel's a cop. You know, he's, like, a detective. He's tracking down the serial killer. But it, like, goes so off the rails in that 90s thriller kind of way that you're just like, oh, yeah. who's the who's the villain of that movie? Um, my man John Lithgow giving John like Lithgow. full Gonzo performance by the way like pulls out um, a chainsaw and like runs it through somebody in person yep. I think yep yep <laughs> Denzel was yep. in that Denzel chose to be in this movie yeah I don't know who he chose I don't know who he chose because this is okay. 1991 okay. this is 1990 or something like that this is 1991 right. but this is also the movie in which Denzel Washington in the beginning scene is at like a carnival or a fair <laughs> and the way yes. that he disarms uh, the suspect is literally drops his pants. <laughs> yes, and then pulls out his gun. <laughs> this what? is a scene I've seen multiple times. By the way, this is the only scene I've seen from that movie. Like it's the more only than thing once. you need to see, really. Honestly, if you just <laughs> okay, the first ten minutes too. If that helps, it's the first ten minutes. You can get out the way quick. I don't blame Denzel for this at all. This is all script. And you know what? He probably he probably pull, the acting ability of pulling those pants down was probably top tier. Yeah. All right. <laughs> So I, I, I can't hate on Denzel. I can't. He, first of all, he stopped Will Smith from slapping Chris Rock a second time. Yeah. And, sure. and he's 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 just done every good movie. Let him have a bad one. He can have a bad one. I, wasn't well, he in Tell Him 1, 2, 3, 2? He, well, that's what, he already had been nominated for an Oscar by that point, though. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. Which which is the which is the one movie that you're like, damn Denzel, like even you as good as you are, I don't know if this is working, Doug. Like you're trying, and I can see it. I'll go first, and it's it's sure. for me. It's obviously virtuosity. <laughs> like virtuosity <laughs> is a movie <laughs> that just like n- nobody's good in it. Like Denzel is yeah. trying; he's doing his best. The graphics and the CGI are like sh- you shouldn't have made the movie. You know what I mean? Like even at the time, 
because this virtuosity comes out in 1995 so like okay yeah. internet isn't like internet internet but it's still like their version of the internet is like 80s internet like it's some mm -hmm. wild shit that you're lawnmower watching. man like it zeros runs. and ones but silver tubes and yeah yeah and denzel hype, is, hype williams video yes all that and yeah. i think i think the only if there's one chink in denzel's armor it's that he, he can't work that movie, right? Because in that role, that's Nicolas Cage, right? You go big, you go crazy, you go out there, you just do like weird, wild shit. And I just don't to. think he has that in him in the sense of like, because he's so grounded in that movie. Like, he's mm -hmm. really trying to play a character. And it's like, no, Denzel, like this is, just let it go, dog. Like just go as broad and as crazy as you can. And I think he's he's trying desperately to hold the movie together, but you're just like... This is a, even you like can't make this work. So. No, I think I think he's gotten a lot of bad scripts that he's mm -hmm. acted his ass off in those scripts. Yes. Like Pelham One Two Three, bad script, acted his ass off. Mm -hmm. Roman mm -hmm. J Esquire, bad script, acted <laughs> yeah. his ass off. Yeah, right. Where like those movies should not have happened at all. Yet he's but, just full but on. Roman got him his what fourth Oscar nomination. Yeah. Yeah, because you're just seeing Denzel just, you know, go for it. I mean, he's he is good at what he does. I, I didn't love the movie. Uh, John Q, on rewatch, the movie's bad. Yeah. <laughs> Denzel does really good in this bad movie. Yeah. There's so many times where they just turn the camera and they're like, well, if America's healthcare system was a little bit better. Like, it's just straight up <laughs> like, like an ad for universal healthcare and Denzel is just acting his ass off in the movie. I, I can't hate on pretty much any of his movies, but there's some bad, it, it's like Denzel is the opposite of what Cuba Gooding Jr. was in the OJ <laughs> documentary. Oh, Cuba oh. was the only bad part of the documentary, uh, yeah. like that, that uh, Netflix, that series, but everybody else was acting their ass around him. Denzel is the opposite of that. Yeah. He can do no wrong, no matter what craziness is happening around him in the movie. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, I I don't know what I would have to because I even I even I sat through flight. I'm here after flight. You know, mm -hmm. I'm with that. I'm I'm sort of with Roman J. Israel. Even like I was like, okay, this is his like late career version of going for it. And what about uh, Safe House? Okay, Safe House. It's Safe House. <laughs> I think it's safe house. All right. Or Two Guns. Which I saw in the theater. Damn. Yeah. Okay, so now we put on a poem. Now they're it's coming. Now they're flowing like water. It's, yeah. it, I think it's two guns in the safe house. I think you're Listen, you know, right. I, I've, I've erased those movies from my memory. So in my mind, he's got a perfect record. You know what well, I mean? He's, he's in two guns with Mark Wahlberg, though. Yeah. Right. So, and that's supposed to be a fun one. You know, that's yeah. supposed to be just like, hey, we're, do, we're doing it. We're doing well, it to do it. You know yeah. what I mean? It's a passion project. Well, because there's, there's a lot of movies where it's just like, you know, like The Magnificent Seven, right? Like if Denzel's not in that movie, like, it's all right. But it's okay. Like, like Denzel makes it worth watching. And I think that's a lot of movies. He, I mean, it's it's almost an optical illusion, right? Because like Denzel, <laughs> if Denzel isn't doing Denzel things, and we'll, we'll talk about it really in this movie because like he gets nominated for a Golden Globe. Well, he wins a Golden Globe and he gets nominated for an Oscar for this movie, you know, and... I feel like just even like putting out the call for people, if anybody wanted to come and talk about this movie, a lot of people love this movie. They're like, oh, I love the hurricane. Like I want to, you know, I want to come in and talk about it. And I'm like, 
not necessarily like that's not what we're, <laughs> we're trying to do. <laughs> but but I think I think that it's it is that kind of thing, right? Where like you watch this movie and like Denzel is so magnetic and so commanding mm-hmm. that like mm-hmm. you just get swept up in what he's doing. When you take a step back and you actually think about it, you're like, wait a minute. But when you like actually just like give in to Denzel and like all of the stuff that he's doing on screen, you are just like, oh yeah, wow. Like you really are believing his performance. He's giving you so much. The movie itself we'll talk about, but like Denzel's performance specifically oh. is is very magnetic in this. But I think that we're also comparing it to other Denzel movies. This is a mm. lot like LeBron James or old Kanye. We're like, yeah. you could only wow. compare them to yeah. Their their own artist's work. Now, if you were because they're because that earlier work is so potent. It's the bar. It yeah. is his own bar that Denzel right. is setting. So, in your mind, you're like, ah, oh, this is a bad Denzel movie. Therefore, it's a bad movie. But in the grand scheme of things, it's probably a decent movie. It's just yeah. now that you've added Denzel to the mix, it's brought down lower for you. You know what I mean? I think, right. if, I think if we have the entire spectrum of his career, like this movie goes right in the middle. Like yep. it might be the middle movie legitimately yeah. because the, it, it's got a plot that is, that just churns like oatmeal. <laughs> and there's nothing, there's nothing going on. There's zero going on, but you get a tremendous, you actually get like, he's putting the work in the, the part where he cries. Come on. Yeah. He's, it's a tremendous Denzel performance on like one half of that movie, but then the rest of the movie is just like minutia and like the five different movies that it wants to be. Right. Badly working against each other. Yeah. So it, it, I feel like this this is this is the bar. We, this is his bar that we measure everything right. else up against. Yeah, yeah, it's a high. It's a it's a middle of the road high percentile movie. Yeah, mm. I mean, when I was thinking about it earlier today, I was like, this is like those years where they just gave Cara Malone the MVP because they're like, Mike can't win it every year. Like, we gotta give it to somebody else. So, like, Kevin Spacey beats him out for American Beauty, a movie which has aged. Oh, my God. Like, milk. I love Sam Mendes. I think he's a great director. You know, this movie has been not only memed to death, but then the Kevin Spacey of it all, but then yeah. like all, yeah. So that's not going down good, but I think, you know, Denzel is just kind of like, yeah, you know, he's, he's putting up the same numbers that he's always been putting up, but it's just mm. like, okay, but maybe it's somebody else's turn. Even though at that point, like, right. Like he didn't win for Malcolm X, you know, a lot of other performances probably maybe would have topped this even up to this point, you know, and then you finally gets training day. But like, this mm. is, like we're like we're going to talk about this is this is very good Denzel you know like this is very good this is yeah. I would say upper percentile Denzel seventy fifth percentile Denzel for sure yeah but... uh, how do we feel about Denzel now because right now I feel like he's like late stage Kareem sure Where Ooh, here we he, go he is he could still carry the team if he chose to but he's kind of just it's it's not like he's winging it but he's yeah. not the the but, training day denzel we knew but like kareem like a person who literally transformed the sport got his own he's got his own shot for real right yeah. like denzel literally got his own shot there's only one person who can do that that thing that denzel does that one tier and he, for the... <laughs> he, he does it in this movie i would say three or four times yeah, yeah. he does uh, 
the the phone monologue the yeah. phone monologue where he's just jabbing the phone into the mirror yeah. get me out of get me out of here like yeah that's that's um, the american gangster the cup smack that's the that's the <laughs> same move these plays are coming from the same playbook but i mean and to to your point jackson like even in Equalizer 2, he's got that fastball, right? There, I mean, I don't know if y'all remember Equalizer 2, but, like, there's a scene where he sticks a gun in Ashton Sanders' face, talk about, like, you a punk? Am I, am, I, am I a bad guy? I'm a punk now? I'm a punk, am I a punk now? And he's like, he's got that young actor yeah. shook in his mm-hmm. pants. And this is Ashton Sanders' moonlight Ashton Sanders getting a gun smushed <laughs> in his face, talking about, am I a punk now? Whoa, whoa, I don't know. I don't know what you are. I don't know what you are, man. <laughs> I didn't know earlier. I definitely don't know now. Like, you know? Yeah. yeah. He's so I think he's still got it. but it, And like you said, he's done Shakespeare, but he hasn't given us, like, the Malcolm or the Hurricane-level performance for the yeah. late stage yet. We, yeah. I don't think we've gotten that yet. I'm just I think saying, we might even be due for it. Yeah, get Barry Jenkins on the phone get them in a room together and make something happen because i think that's the one thing about denzel is that whenever he's presented with an opportunity and gets to work with like the like you know a spike lee or like one of those top directors like it's it's on right like he does he's gonna give it to you so like i think even in the low-key spike movies he does it too yeah Mm -hmm. i think he's definitely not opposed to doing you know bigger movies i think obviously like he does what he wants to do. You know what I mean? Like nobody's going to make Denzel do anything that he's not interested in. But (laughs) at the same time, like there's, there's still opportunity for him. And I would love to see him work with some of these younger directors uh, and get an opportunity to kind of, cause I think, you know, when he's on set, like the energy's different. You know what I mean? Like when he's in scenes with people, like you see people try like any great actor, like I got to match what Denzel. They're trying to elevate to his level. They're trying to get there. Because um, you even see Barry it, you, Jenkins, that would be crazy. Yeah, you even see it in this movie. That would be insane. You know, everybody acting off of Denzel whenever he's in a scene with other people, like they're tr- they're really trying to get to where he's at. You know what I mean? You can see I, it in their face. Yeah. You, you like when that white lady was talking to him in prison and he was doing that whole monologue to her face. I thought they were gonna kiss. I thought it was, <laughs> she, she was so wrapped up in everything he was saying. I thought I was like, oh. I, are they about to have a conjugal visit? This yeah. is crazy. <laughs> well, Cam, we've 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 chatted a bit, but we should get into these five minutes here. Uh, I know, like you said, this is a two hour and twenty five minute movie, <laughs> <laughs> which it should not be. But trying to get it done in five minutes could be a lot, so we'll we'll kill the time for now. But go ahead. I mean, even if you just, I would not begrudge you just reading the plot straight from wikipedia uh <laughs> you see these uh twitter subject. fingers tapping they, yeah. i'm trying to get these wiki fingers tapping i'm trying to yeah. get there we talk about busting a sweat on the way there all right well, here we go well, and before I'm we gonna... go i'll give you i'll give everybody the quick run because we didn't do this but the movie came out in 1999 it's directed by norman jewison who i think if you're if you're not familiar with the name like the filmography is vast and your guys, your guys, like one of the top directors at this time or in the 80s, 70s, like yeah. top guy. Well, and in specific, we should mention, because this is the movie that this gets lumped in with is kind of like a trilogy is in the heat of the night, a soldier story. Right. And then this is kind yes. of like his like race in America trilogy. Um, mm-hmm. But he also did the original Thomas Crown Affair. He did Jesus Christ Superstar. Did Filler on the Roof. Did Filler on the Roof. roof. <laughs> he did uh, do rollerball yeah but 
you know, this is his second to last movie. This is, yeah. And, uh, you know, like it got, it got all the accolades and all that stuff. I, I watched a couple of interviews with him. He's got full cut or final cut, which is like, you know, most directors don't get that. So like, that's the kind of clout that he's got where he's able to just say, you're going to make the movie that I want to make. So, <laughs> Right. Um, and I think we get a little bit of that here with this two hour, 45 minute yeah, running time. For sure. But obviously stars Denzel stars, uh, Dipper Kara Unger, Leif Schreiber, uh, Vasilis, Rian Shannon, and uh, Dan Hedaya. We're talking about Dan Hedaya. He's he's really <laughs> he's a far away from uh, Beverly Hills and being Cher's yeah. dad. Yeah, but the movie had a budget of fifty million dollars and a box office of seventy four million dollars. So it it made its money back and then some. It did that but, thing. Cam, go ahead. We'll we'll let you rock on these five minutes. And yeah, let me know if you need some uh, assistance. <laughs> Let, let's let's see. Maybe I can do five minutes of this, and then we'll we'll flesh it out. All right. So, all right. So, boom. Uh, the movie starts. Uh, basically, we're getting like low key raging bull vibes. It's black and white. You're just watching a boxing match, and then we kind of cut to. Well, I, I, you know what? Fuck all that. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna try to like do the scene by scene i think we're just going to talk about the stories that are being told because there's about three different stories being told yeah a little bit uh basically the movie is his life story but the events we focus on are a series of a murder that happened in patterson new jersey in the late 1970s which ruben was convicted for and was the cause of him spending quote unquote the rest of his natural life uh, in jail until he was free. This right. is like, we all know this. Uh, and the movie decides to uh, tell that story from the lens of a young boy named Lesra Martin, who is from Brooklyn, from Flatbush. He's He wants to be educated. He wants to go to school, but he's his uh, family life is not helping that. Both his parents are alcoholics. Um, and these random three white people as much as the movie tries to tell you that they're not random they are random and do not say where they're coming from these three white people don't adopt lesra but they decide to take him to canada where he could finish his high school education and probably have a better chance of like getting into college right. and studying law which is what lesra wants to do and he's at this point he's he's functionally illiterate is how they describe it uh yes. so their plan is to tutor him in like two years to go from that to high school graduate. So right. free of charge, they're just going <laughs> to take him to Canada. Yeah. Free of charge, no, no hook, no hangups, no nothing. Just I'm going to teach you, I'm going to teach your son how to read. And yeah. the dad who was not interested in that finally let go and said, I gonna teach my son how to read. Yeah. So Lesra decides to go to Canada uh, in a bargain bin, literally in a bargain bin finds Ruben's, uh, autobiography, which Ruben, we see Ruben type up himself uh, in a bargain bin. He, over the course of like 45 minutes in the movie, maybe like a year in real life, reads the entire book, enjoys it, and is so moved by his story, which, okay, so we'll get back to Ruben. Ruben was a young youth in uh, New Jersey. Uh, he had a stutter. He was 
had no, he had basically no home. He was just running the streets and uh, ran a, uh, a, a, the movie portrays it as a white man shows up in some brush in a suit <laughs> and says, hey, y'all want to see some, which is like literally just code for I'm going to do some bad stuff to you, just some super bad stuff. He says, hey, young boy, you're very pretty. He Would you like to come with me? Face. I was trying to get away from that point that he's like just thumb all up on his boy's face and a young Reuben is like, no, I won't have that and decides to protect his friends like a normal child would do. Throws yeah. a rock at this guy. Throws, throws a, a bottle at this A glass guy. bottle, yeah. Yeah, throws a bottle, smashes this guy's face open and then uh, trying to run away with his friends, the guy grabs him and he manages to like take out his pocket knife and go yip, yip, yip in his arm a couple times and freeze himself. But not before the cops find out who this who this young boy is and take him in and basically what Dan Hadaya, who is the police commissioner at the time, decides you're just one of them niggas. You need yeah. to go, you need we need to deal with you. So he goes to juvie. Uh, Ruben goes to juvie and then he ends up getting out of juvie. Goes directly into the army. Oh, he is, he runs away from juvie. Well, he, he escapes. escapes. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. He escapes. He escapes. It's very much so made clear. Yes, you're right. He yeah. escapes juvie and uh, goes into the army, becomes a paratrooper. When he comes home from the army, he, uh, you know, just goes to the bar trying to, you know, pick up a lady or two. Uh, he meets his soon-to-be wife at the bar. And also, uh, that night, gets arrested by the cops again. Yeah. The same cop, same Dan Adaya, same police commissioner is like, nah, it's that same nigga from back, back in the day. Lock his ass up, he's put like, him in there and throw Oh, wait, I, he says, you owe me time. You owe me time. He's also like, I look exactly the same. And you, <laughs> and you Denzel, having damn, you, you're looking good, but <laughs> he's so, for being so pretty and looking so good, he puts him under the jail, basically. Right. <laughs> And so uh, he serves that time. He gets out of jail for the second time in his life and uh, gets becomes a boxer, decides to become a boxer, decides to put this energy into being a boxer. And so he's still got his wife. He becomes a, pro- a prize fighter. He's doing well as a prize fighter. And uh, this is where the movie kind of focuses its energy uh, one night, this is the night after one of his big fights. It's, it's not the championship, but it, he's like fighter of the year or something like that. Yeah, he's had a good year. He's had a good run. He's had a good year. So he's at the bar, you know, drinking a couple, doing well. A young boy, uh, or he, you know, he's had a few. So he's, he asks a young guy to uh, drive him home that night. Mm-hmm. And excited, that young guy drives him home. They decide they're pulling over at a gas station. At the same time, a murder across town happens. And the what the the uh, the eyewitness Vincent Pastor from Sopranos fame yep. says he saw two Negroes in a white car. You know how it goes in the '60s. It's a wrap for any two Negroes in a white in a white car. It just so happens that Reuben and his chauffeur were the nearest, and the one where the police commissioner had a little bit of a, a axe to grind. So. The the movie then goes, he literally gets arrested. He sees the people that were supposedly murdered. Dan Hedaya comes out at the hospital talking about, oh, I, it's this guy. It's my guy again. I've had enough of this guy. He hasn't been under the jail yet. Let's put him under the jail. So, you know, he goes to jail. And, this, and where he's uh, sentenced to two life terms. Uh, Three two life, life terms. Sentences. 
Three life sentences. Yes, three of them right. things. Three yeah. life sentences and the chauffeur as well. They're both sentenced. Uh, and from there on, he, he instantly goes into the hole for denying to wear the, you know, the, the jailhouse garments wearing his number, which follows him his entire prison career. He, he out of respect, the warden and the guards let him wear normal yeah. clothes as a prisoner. Um, pretty much the movie is like his, and then we kind of meet back up with, uh, with, uh, what's, what was the name? Lezra. Lezra's story. Yeah. Lezra and the whites story. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, that's his band. That's the band that they're in. Yeah. Um, Lezra and the whites. <laughs> That sounds like a Brooklyn, like a current day Brooklyn band. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they make trip hop. They make yeah. trip hop. Uh, so Lezra and the Whites decide to, after reading his book, and this is how jumpy the movie is too, because I'm actually describing what I saw pretty much. Right, right. The movie decides to go back and forth from, you know, Ruben's old life to the crime, to Lezra reading the books, to finding uh, Ruben through letters. And then uh, they decided to take up his case. They decided to take up his case to the point where they moved to America uh, from Canada to take up the case. Now, over the course of time, you know, uh, th- his case has been denied twice. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get a third trial. They're almost they're denied once, but then they finally get that third trial after you know a year's time, I think, or several yeah. years' time, because even Lesra grows up and, and ends up going to college over this course of this time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, from then on, the movie is like playing a little bit of Rashomon, a little bit of Few Good Men, and we finally get to uh, the court case where you know Dan Hedaya, the the police commissioner. This isn't his name; that's the actor's name, by the way. So yeah. sorry, but I don't know this man's name. Uh, <laughs> sorry to this composite of a character, <laughs> but uh, so the police commissioner is there, old and crusty at, at this point in time, you know. Uh, Ruben is now in his, in his 50s. He spent half his life in jail. Uh, new, uh, it seems that in the course of their, the White's investigation of this case and the casework, uh, they find a handwritten note that was signed by the co- police commissioner under another name. Denzel, Ruben <laughs> Denzel uh, recognizes this instantly, and he sees oh, that's the same handwriting. He wrote me up. This is easy. This is this is open and shut case, and you know the whites are apprehensive at first, but they finally go to trial, and the judge, played by Rod Steiger from yeah. uh, uh, In the Heat of the Night, takes you know takes the law into consideration, takes his compassion into consideration, and decides to finally free Reuben at the end. He looks at the sky, and Jesus is up there, and then we flash to an old. Uh, an old boxing, an old boxing clip, and end of movie. That's the hurricane. Well, look. We want to talk for more than a minute, but this I'm movie. Ready. I was ready. This movie I'm is sweat. Can I read the beginning scroll of the movie? Because off the bat, we get. While this picture is based upon a true story, some characters have been composited or invented and a number of incidents fictionalized. So basically, the movie's like, look, I know this is Cap, but it's Denzel. So like, <laughs> yep. you're not going to see it? You're going to see it. It's the, come on. You know what I mean? And that officer, the guy who was uh, Della Pesca, that was his name. Della yeah. Pesca, yes. Made up. 
made up. Definitely. I, there's a couple of characters that are made up. He's made up the, this was, I mean, there's, we're, <laughs> this is where I want to start specifically, but like, there's a number of characters in this movie to the point by the time you get to the end, it's just like, stop trying to make white people happen, right? Like, this movie is like... <laughs> this really, movie's tagline is, up with white people. It's really yeah. trying well, hard, okay. because there's the correctional officer who's, like, so nice, and so... He's like, what can I do to accommodate you, the prisoner, in my prison? <laughs> and it's like and they got and they got they got like hard faced Clancy Brown to play that guy. So yeah. of course, if you if you can break Clancy Brown, then white people can't. But be it's that it's, it's off the top. It's not even like Denzel doesn't do anything. You know what I mean? Like he's in he's in solitary. He comes out and like immediately this guy is like, "What? Let's get you a shower. Let's do this. Like let's make accommodations for you." And they like, spent ninety days putting Denzel through hell. At this point, he's talking to himself. We don't even know if the war was made up <laughs> or not. We don't know if any. You know. And then on top of that, on top of that, it felt like there was only one police officer in the whole movie. And it was yeah. just Del Pesca trying to arrest <laughs> him since he was 11 yeah. all the way up to now. 11 years old. He was 11 years old the first time he arrested him. Exactly. So he was 50. He followed right. this man. So, well, you know, at, at what point do you, are you like, all right, this man's going through it. Yeah, let him wear whatever. He's yeah. Let, let him do whatever <laughs> he wants to do in here. Um, yeah, they, so Del Pesca, when the kid was 11, was like, they were like, but he's 11 years old. Should we hear him out? You're like, this nigga? No. <laughs> like, Literally. Like, treat him like the adults. And then they sent him away. Oh, and then the the the, the judge, yeah. the judge that sent him away was like, honestly, I wish you were an adult so I can give you real prison time. Give you real time. Danger to society and you shouldn't be around. Anyway, I'm going to see you do this camp until you turn 18. Good luck without your family. Yeah. He's gone. Like, yeah. so it was every, it, there was the thing that this movie did, I guess it had to do was it had very clear bad whites mm -hmm. and they were the worst of white people. Yeah. And they had very clear good whites and they were yes. the best of white people. And there's no middle ground. There's no, no just like, Oh, white guy. Yeah. I wrote a paragraph of this in my notes. I literally said this movie screams white privilege at its core, right? The only, there's only two parts of the binary, right? The white saviors, the literal Lezer and the whites. Two times though, right? Because they say yeah. both Lezer and Ruben. So it's, it's they double yes. up. Yes, you're right, you're right. <laughs> so we got the we got the good whites over here, and we have like the most malicious whites in the world over here. Like literally what the, the police commissioner says to him is throw the book at him make an example of him make do let's do the, this 11 year old boy who has no concept of the real world like, just make an example out of him he had no yeah. idea what the example is about so you have literally the two ends of the spectrum and all the black people in the movie every black person in the movie and and the movie actually does i feel like makes several attempts to make this part known is that they just hang in the balance yeah all black people all black people's function in america is to just hang in the balance. We yes. we are literally without agency, just at their mercy. There's the, there's the shot there's the shot in the movie which like it was also is like it's a good shot, but it's also like puke worthy exactly at the same time. Is I think it's Lezra and the whites are leaving him for the first time at the um, at uh, visitors' day. Yeah, 
And he's standing in the center of the frame. And then there's another guy, there's another black prisoner with his like foot up on a chair mm-hmm. yeah. with like the, like posed out. And then two others into the frame as like we pan, as we zoom out. Yeah. And it's just, it's like such a Gordon Parks picture. It's such like a American, like, you know, Time Magazine, like, and these are the black people left to hang in the balance. It's just like, what the, what the fuck? Like, well, cause even before that, like there's the woman behind Lesra who like came to see her son and the, and the, the officer is like, oh no, he's acting up. He's in lockup, so you can't see him. And like, we just oh leave with her oh. for like five minutes of just like her face her processing too. that information. The Hemings is, is in lockup, woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just like we we gotta hang on this woman because we gotta understand that black people ain't got no agency, <laughs> no, none, zero agency. And then and, and even when it feels like there is, it's just like, listen, we got people working their ass off trying for you. You know, we're just let's just wait. We're gonna wait let's, together. You, me, Muhammad Ali wants to to help you out. As well. <laughs> Bob Dylan wants. He wrote a whole song for you. Wrote a whole Bob song about you, Bob Dylan. Plays more than that one song from Beverly Hills Cop that plays all through the whole movie. <laughs> that Bob Dylan song played eighteen times during this movie. You would have swore Bob wrote it for the movie. You would have swore Bob Dylan. <laughs> was like you know what actually i wrote it for the movie that you were going to make later yeah. in life but i'm so glad that you made this movie to finally put my I, song in i did not know that song existed until this movie yeah so wow i heard it in the opening credits i was like they got a white man to you, sing you... a song about a black person and his struggles in this movie and it was plot line for plot line <laughs> so I was yeah. like, yeah, what is they just really wrote the plot of the movie in the song and then I found out Bob Dylan wrote this years ago. And it's like yeah. the it's like the Will Smith rap of the movie where he just like, <laughs> <summarizes> <laughs> yeah, they should have did it. They should have did it. Did a video That's where he samples where he samples some Earth Wind and Fire over it. Because you got you gotta sample some classic song that we love and turn it into Will Smith, you know, and the credit song. Right. <laughs> Well, it's crazy, too, because even uh, when all the white people come up to New Jersey and they meet with the lawyers, there's like a three minute monologue with the lawyers like, I've seen white people like you before. And they come and they try to help, but it's too hard and nobody can ever do it and nobody can ever hang. And like, why the fuck did you even come here? (laughs) What are you you doing? And they're just like, we're not going to give up, you know, and like the way that they go about it is just like they really hammer at home so much that it's just kind of like i i i understand from a movie standpoint right because Mm. we're going to talk about when we get to the research a little bit about the real reuben carter Mm. and maybe white people might not have liked him so much (laughs) if they got (laughs) the full (laughs) dose of who he actually was well Uh, i think this movie is doing that on purpose because like reuben is a black ass black person however this movie is so white. It, it, it's 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 crazy. It's yeah. crazy. There's a lot of black people in this movie. Trust me. There's like they found Debbie Morgan's black ass and put her in this movie. <laughs> like, there are black people in this movie. Like, yeah, but point blank. Like, period. Even but back to that a- lawyer thing where they were like, you know, a lot of people, a lot of white, well-meaning people come in here and try to solve the case and and and, and help out and they just don't have the time. It, it It's less of like, oh, you know, a lot of people just got bored and tired of it and left. It was more like, you know, if white people just really had the time 
to solve all of the world's <laughs> ills, but we're just so busy, you know? And then these white people are like, we have the time. Mind you, we I don't think we found out a single thing that they do throughout nope. this movie. I didn't see a single one go to work. No. Nope. Uh, nothing. I saw them frolic in the leaves and then have yeah. the money to move to New Jersey. It's yeah. confusing <laughs> because it's not until almost an hour into the movie that we learned that they met Lesra at an EPA like summer job that he had, which I have questions, not necessarily how did he get this job being functionally illiterate, but like, mm-hmm. what, 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 is the it, application. what is it that they were like that one? You know what I mean? Because there's a point in the movie where he point blank asked them, did you, did you take me in? Cause I'm black. And they all kind of look at each other and like, we practice this. No, Lesra, we did <laughs> take you in. It's because you were funny. You know, right? you know we had a conversation. <laughs> uh, you do black. Wow, we didn't even see. We oh, didn't even. Color. We don't see color, baby. Yeah. We pick up funny kids, and you yeah. were so funny that we decided <laughs> to pick you up. Mind you, they never picked up another kid. No. There was ever another kid in the camp that they talked about. No. There no. was. There was. It didn't look like a. There. There were no black kids on the wall. Like a picture of yeah. like here are all the black kids we put through college. These just seem like some white people who wanted a black guy around the house, and yeah. then to give him whatever he wanted. He was like, "I want to punch him back and tomorrow. You got to yeah. punch him." Back. It was done. It was done. My question <laughs> is, is for, for the wildest reasons. He was like, "Cause I just want to hit." You're right. What? They're just like, "Well, as long as it's not us, Lesra." <laughs> My question Please is, Lesra had a Lesra had a tight lineup the whole movie and i'm wondering who's like, doing that because it's not any of the people in this house there are black people in toronto six, there are six, black six, people six, in toronto six, but i'm just like yeah well i mean he must have found a barbershop on his own because i don't think he i don't know to... drake didn't have a good haircut till he moved to the u.s <laughs> also true That's all also his drafty haircuts were bad so i don't know what was cutting his hair uh who was cutting his hair in that movie but yeah no it was a tight lineup it was yeah. not a, it wasn't a great cuts at all yeah i was impressed <laughs> But I do so. Here's here's my big question about Lesra, and I'll, I'll play this new drop for you, Cameron. Smack! Who is this nigga? <laughs> right, because who is this nigga? I was <laughs> very cons- like I. It took me a while until I got into the research because I was like, please, 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 do not tell me that they made this kid up as like a, a plot point for this movie to revolve around. Because at a certain point, it really felt like that because one, he disappears for like 45 minutes to an hour. 40, <laughs> and the later 45 minutes after you've invested time in him and then they show you a picture in the middle of that 45 minutes, like let's were like went to college and married his high school sweetheart. I'm like, how do I know? Right. How do we know? And also the pictures that he was sending of him and like the white family that it looked very get out. It looks so good. It looked very like I went on African vacation, and you know, this is the pictures I took in Zaire. Yes, yes. Cause he he disappears for the most crucial part of the movie because exactly. I think that, I, I think it couldn't have been this black kid and these three white people get this man out of jail. It had to be these white people get this man out of jail because he wasn't around for any of the investigation, mm-hmm. even though he wants to be a lawyer. He wasn't around for any of the, the, the interviews, the questioning, none of it. The only time he was around, those white people during that investigation is when they they hacked that car yeah. and decided to send these people off the road. Right. And then he's there, he's there at the end. So Denzel and can look for at the him court case. and say, Hate put me in here and love is gonna bust me out. And then he can cry. Ooh. You know, Yo, that's like that's that's it. What, hey, 
But that scene though, that scene goes. <laughs> that scene goes. But when he, when he, he stuck his hand out the out the bars and he hugged his head. Nigga, if you if you didn't cry during that shit, you ain't got no heart. It wasn't just one tear, it was both. Same time. <laughs> they Same come back to him bam. and they both perfectly fell out of his eyes. Like beautiful. It's beautiful. I almost cried. That yeah. was gorgeous. It's a good scene. But that's just that was just my thing, because I was just like so like so much of this is true, you know, in certain respects, so we'll talk about it. But it's just like it's it feels so far fetched. Like he goes to Canada. Like the first thing we see is him in a book, like like a used book just, sale, used and book. he just picks up a random book, looks at this white man, and is like this one, and they're like, whatever, nigga, you can't it's read. Sure. So. <laughs> Good luck. Try your best. Good luck. <laughs> but then, like. Like Cam says, like we really give so much time to him and his story, yet I don't know anything about him. You know, there's I mean? an hour like, devoted di- directly to like Lesra and what. That, that's why it's confusing why we don't know what these white people do because we spend literally so much time with them directly yeah. at their house, watching him read them the book, watching him like, do I? I need a punch bag or I need something tomorrow. Like help me out, and they're helping him every step of the way but do we like know exactly how they pay for this house do we know like yeah. their day-to-day no we didn't even really. see a, a picture a, a video of them teaching him how to read nothing no. he's just he's just reading man, the book he went from zero <laughs> to 100. Me believe, he knew how to read that's just where i'm at yeah Listen, but i hate to throw on the conspiracy <laughs> hat but if they never taught him how to read in the movie and the movie was already two and a half hours long they couldn't have devoted two more minutes to teach him how to read the boy already knew how to read he just was adopted by these white people and they needed to make up a story about it that's it look open your third eye, open your third eye. <laughs> that's all we're saying but it is it's like we never we get like random information and this movie does the opposite of what you're supposed to do where it tells you and doesn't show you things because like he keeps saying his life reminds him so much of Ruben's story and like Ruben's story is like helping him deal with things what things what is similar <laughs> what do well, you like- you know what I mean he's he he talks about like I think there's a later meeting where Ruben is like, do you ever get to see your folks? And he's like, sometimes. Why don't we see him go back to talk to his parents or, you know, other family? But, you know, I mean, like we never get any of these moments that could be very interesting to kind of see how his story intersects with Ruben's and like what it is that he's so tied into. Like, it can't be this is the first book he ever read. And that just like imprinted on him. Like, there's got to be more because like they... Like we said, like they go so hard. You know yeah, I mean? this like is they this go- is like literally. <laughs> this is the first book Lesnar's ever touched, and it took them all the way to court. <laughs> yeah, I hope he don't touch any more books. I mean, <laughs> the next book he touches, like oh god, now I gotta go <laughs> save this other person. From jail. Right, it's like I agree with you. It needed more of his story. We never got it. I need to know that like. There's a personal connection outside of this book of why he wants to help. Um, you know, whether it be like an older brother, maybe, you know, not making it, whether it be like, you know, he gets pulled over at some point, yeah. something yeah. to connect all these dots. We never got it. Yeah. But I do think that they did a better job. Like, Lesnar's story, they did a really bad job with. 
the white people's story backstory, they also did a really bad job. Yeah. They were just yeah. there. They did do a really, really good job, at least in the first third of the movie, on Reuben Carter's story. Mm-hmm. I felt like yes. I knew him. And then it made me care more when he was in uh, I, uh, solitary confinement. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is a guy who really put himself together and like made it his whole mission and never go back to jail. And now they got him in this hole. Right. And he's trying to like do everything he can not to break his mind. And 90 days sitting in a, in a, in a hole is going to break you regardless. So that scene was some of Denzel's best acting to me. And I wish oh, yeah. I yeah. would have got that. I wish that other people, uh, his wife would have got that. Nope. She's gone. Something. Yeah, he no. says, hold this baby. And then we don't see her again until. <laughs> she oh, hold this baby. I'm going to smack the door and walk out of here. I mean, this movie is literally trying to be like, it's trying to be like Black Rocky, trying to be Malcolm X, trying to be a Bronx Tale, trying to be Rashomon. It's trying to be a few good men with some sprinkles of some Gordon Parks photos in there yeah. to boot. Like, it's literally trying to be like eight different movies mm-hmm. over the. And it's a long movie on top of that, right? Yes. You kind of, it's like you don't, you wouldn't know where time was spent anyway if, like, you got the movie you wanted, right? Yeah. Do you follow? Because I know that's yeah. a little tricky, but, like, even if we got, like, if this movie was just Rashomon, right? And we just saw uh, Ruben's crime from his perspective, from what Lesbo read in the book, and maybe from what, uh, Della Pesca actually did, right. you know, that movie wouldn't be enough. Or if no. we actually got the just the straight up Reuben Carter story, that wouldn't be enough. Or if we got the Lesra movie, we wouldn't get enough, right. you know, uh, Reuben. So, and definitely these like white saviors are getting like smushed under the weight mm-hmm. of like all the things going on in the movie. It just ends up being kind of mid at yeah. the end of the day because it's trying to be great at like eight different things yeah. yeah i think if they had spent a movie of each court case and then mm. the time in between it would have been a better movie mm-hmm. if they had just been like Probably. this is what you're going through this is what's happening in between you lost your wife after the first one this is what you're going through you lost this after the second one this is what you're going through now this kid found your book because we don't even see him write the book yeah. Like not necessarily like right. not necessarily not write the book, but like when does the book come out in all of this? You see him type like a couple of sentences. He, into he types it. it up and then like you see like the book in the window of you know some At the bookstore. Book yeah. But then it's like there is just a long period afterwards where you're just kinda like didn't he write a book? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, book. you know, Lesnar's reading it, but like he doesn't pick it up until I think they say like seven or eight years later. So it's just like yeah. I guess that book didn't really pop off like you thought it would that's what i'm saying like no one else picked up this book no one else did anything <laughs> yeah. Was moved was to tears. Yeah. yeah so that 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 was the confusion for me during this movie is that it felt like it started a lot of plots and then dropped them mm-hmm. started a yeah. lot of things and then dropped them and then but expected you to stick around for two and a half hours and i was like what but why yeah well there's this you gonna get his free <laughs> There's there's two black people I want to talk about before we we move on, and that's one John Artis, who my God, if anybody got done worse than Lazarus, my man shows up, gets to drive Reuben Carter home, immediately gets pulled over by the police. We see like the sentencing 
You know what I mean? And then he is gone. And then there is like maybe literally 30 seconds where the catch up shot. Oh my God. Thinks about him briefly. And they're just like, oh yeah, John Artis. What a man. And then we just, and then he's gone, and then he never. Shows oh, don't up. wait, wait, don't, don't, don't skip on what he's doing during that scene oh, too, because yeah. it's just so tragic. Like my man John Artis, that that's the real hero. Me, cut to him, old now in the <laughs> the dungeon bathroom, right? Just mopping piss further into the concrete, and then he like takes one look at the guard and hangs his head in shame and walks <laughs> the bucket out, and it's just like the saddest. Yeah, in the world. Well, in a in a bit when I talk about all the things that he went through, like it's I know it's a long big movie, but it's just like he played such a more important role not only in the case but just like generally that like Uh, totally omit him from the movie more or less is kind of a wild decision. Then definitely a decision. This is a character I really need everyone's opinion on, and that's Mobutu because. One, he just shows up. <laughs> like at, at a certain point, I think in the writing there are like, I think he needs a black friend in prison because like you know he can't keep talking to this white correctional officer, and you know like he's not gonna always have Lesra or like these white people to talk to. So like, well, who would be somebody that he talks to? Of course, they name him Mobutu. <laughs> they put a kufi on him. Uh, he's like. S- we don't know why he's in jail and he's supposedly this worldly like elder in yeah, you know what I mean? Who's just like, he's there to drop jewels on Ruben. And he's also got the TV. He's also got the TV. He's got the TV. They're watching. I don't know. They're watching some kind of like dance, you know, sixties. like Yeah. They're not watching soul train, but it is. (laughs) And and he's talking to, he's talking to Mobutu and he's like, so, what do you think? Like white people, are they all bad? And Mobutu's kind of like, I don't know. One time I was homeless and this white man saved my life three times. So I guess they can't all be bad. And Denzel's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. That, and that was his whole thing. I, you know what it is? I think this that scene go ahead, go ahead. was a white savior film that was trying so hard to not be a white savior film that they were like, okay, what do we need? We need a black uh kid that really wants to try this case not the white guys you know the white guys are just here to help yeah we need a black friend <laughs> in prison not the white guard the white guards is here to help it's just yeah. here to help. Nope. you know we like it was just every bit of we need we, black wife but the coolest black wife you yeah. know because you know and, and she's there she's just she's just at her wits end you know and that's why she leaves and that's why we never see her again you know, and that's okay. Uh, you know, it was just like we need all of the elements to make this a black film, or and not a white savior film. But then it was completely a white savior film through and through. Right. And the right. way that I was confusing, like, why not show Soul Train in <laughs> the prison? Why are they showing the white version of Soul Train? It was on. Yeah, it was on. Mobutu's just like, look, I only got three channels, dog. So I can only watch American <laughs> Bandstand. I wish I could watch Soul Train. Uh... They only let me watch Dick Clark. I'm sorry, it's, <laughs> it's not my it's not my choice. Exactly. So that's what but, made no sense to me. I was just like, I was like, I see what you're trying to do to not make this a white savior film. None of it's working. Yeah. But I wonder to what white people it does work. Mm. Everyone, all of them. You know why? <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> These when white people make black art, 
especially in this case, right? I would consider the hurricane definitely a story of a, a black story, a, a piece of black art. But it's a white man making it, and it's probably what the screenwriters were. I'm sure white people. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, there you go. I didn't even have to ask this time because I yeah. know it through and through. But when when they make art about the black experience, the one lens it goes through, regardless if it's a white savior movie or not, is that black people aren't all that scary. It's always that. It's all, or at least. Within the story, now the story can be about whatever it wants to be. It can be about civil rights or it could just be about Black people existing, right? But the main message that has to get across, regardless of whatever content it is, Black people ain't that bad. Yeah. Even Mobutu. Even Mobutu's Black ass from Africa will not come and kill you. Right. He won't come and kill you. And and that's literally what this movie's thesis statement is, is that even Reuben Hurricane Carter a person who made his career off of pugilism and punching white people in the face is not that bad at the end of the day. He's no. not that bad. And he might be your friend. Look, Cameron, just if you're white, go to Bushwick right now. Find a black child. Ask, hold on. Adopt them. Yep. <laughs> they'll be great. Yeah, they'll, be, they'll be a model citizen. You can teach them how to read. They'll go to college. Get them one of those like... hats that stops like right at the top of their head but never covers the ear. You know, right. And then yeah. find three soy cheese eating white folks that live in a loft and then i can just like make the movie over yeah yeah. we can do this Mm -hmm. because that's the thing it's like exactly what you were saying cam in terms of like black people aren't that bad because the same thing we saw with the blind side right blindside michael Orr, he's like hey i'm just you know he's almost like simple right to the point of just like He's really harmless, right? You know he's not. I mean? He's not a threat to us because he's so simple and big and cuddly, right? I mean, look at Lesra. Lesra right. is this big black kid, and he's like, "Oh, I want to hit something. I'm so angry, but a punching bag. Am I gonna hit y'all? I'm not. I'm not gonna punch y'all. No. <laughs> right? Because even when he like raised his voice, where he's like, "Are y'all adopting me because I'm black?" There, it was very much like, "I'm still gonna eat these peas, but like, I just want to know." <laughs> I'm still gonna eat this kale salad, but, but yeah. like, quick question: Did, did y'all get me because I was black? All right, bet I'm gonna go back to this uh, macaroni salad, and we're just gonna call well, and it. It's, I, I just want to go back briefly before we move sure. on because it's just like, and he accepts that, right? Yes. Like he asked them the question, they give him an answer which isn't really an answer, and he's mm-hmm. like, bet. I just wanted he to literally is like, I'm okay with that. I'm okay yeah. with that. And uh, we move c- on. Because I was funny? Okay. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> took me out of the property because I was... That, it's actually crazy how that scene ends because they literally tell him the story and he is like, like you said, he's like, bet. All right. A- a- end of that. Right. <laughs> Which, is, again, goes back to the white savior not trying to be a white savior film thing because if they never had that conversation... This would have felt more like a white savior film, but because they had that conversation, they're like, clearly we're not white saviors. They're malevolent. They're, well, I mean, not malevolent. They're they're, they're benevolent. Uh, benevolent. Sorry, yeah, wrong, benevolent. wrong, wrong <laughs> consonant. My fault. My fault. <laughs> well, because even there's the scene where like they they all go to visit Denzel, and like I forget who says what, but Denzel's like, oh, so this this is hard for you because I'm the nigga that's in jail. Like you don't know what it's like to be on the inside. All this stuff, and the white people are just kind of like. I guess we don't know what wow. it's like to be on the. I guess we should leave. Yeah. It's, this it's actually, this movie. <laughs> that's why I say this movie is like literally white privilege writ large because like every time a black person is like, our lives are hard. White people go like, 
You are absolutely correct. You are absolutely a thousand percent correct. We're sorry. So sorry. We're so sorry. Yeah. Can I read you? Uh, this is the verdict, or this is what the the judge reads at the end. And I think this is literally like the real life um, decision that the judge read. It says to permit convictions to stand, which have as their sole foundation appeals to racial prejudice, is to commit a violation to the Constitution as heinous as which the defendant was tried and convicted, which is like, but that's like most black people in jail though, right? Like how many stories <laughs> have we heard about black people who are just like now getting out of jail, being in jail for like 30 years for a rape they didn't commit, a drug deal that they didn't commit, a murder they didn't commit mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. some white person somewhere said, I think it was a Negro. And they were like, that's enough. That's we all I need. <laughs> we don't need any more evidence. We don't need any more like... You know, like, I guess they have an alibi, but who really cares? You know, like, whatever literally, we can find. Yeah, literally run up on the next black person I see based off that. And basically because of how our, our judicial system works, if you don't have enough money to pay for a lawyer and you get stuck with a public defendant, probably what's going to happen is they're going to say, you should probably plea out, right? So, yeah. like, your choices are either go to trial with a lawyer who can't prepare for a case against, you know, the state prosecution or plead out to time, which you'll have to serve and which will go on your record, even if you didn't do anything, because there's really no, I mean, you can't make bail or bond or like all these other things. Right. And so this movie is, it's so bizarre because they paint this as like, this is the, like, again, like so many of these movies, racism is over because Reuben Carter got justice and was released from jail. Right. On top of that, you got released from jail after being in there 30 years of your life. 30 years. And they right. were like, good luck. You got them. <laughs> right. Hey, man, let's let bygones be bygones. We put you in there. We got hey. you. I thought that went for all of us. I thought that yeah. went for everybody. Right. On top of that, I don't know if you read the end credits, but they were like, the state of New Jersey tried again mm -hmm. to, uh, to put him back in jail, and then the Supreme Court upheld the decision. So, like, Della Pesca or whoever the real Della Pesca was was like, nah, I'm gonna get that nigga. That no. nigga there. <laughs> Thirty years is not enough. I want not him in jail until I die. <laughs> Side, well, sidebar, this is a little bit of movie history, but uh Rod Steiger, the guy who played the judge, was in the heat of the night with Cindy Portier, who was not nominated for an Oscar mm -hmm. for maybe his most iconic performance. Yeah. You know who won that Oscar though? Who? Rod Steiger. Yeah. That yeah. Take it, it's like Adam Driver and Black Klansman. Yep. That's literally Adam Driver and Black Klansman. One last thing before I get into some of this research. I'm sorry. They announced that he got out of prison on the PA system in yeah, prison? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And everyone cheered? Yeah. <laughs> there was not one person in that jail who was like, no, I didn't even like that nigga so much. <laughs> But it's just know. like this is this is a prison that they've tried to build up as some kind of like hostile environment. You're really going to tell the prisoners that somebody <laughs> actually beat the system and was innocent and got out of jail right. and work them up. And that I don't think you're going to not only beat the system, but prove the system was wrong and corrupt yeah. and racist. You know what I mean? And like, corrupt I, and racist. I would keep that on the low. You know? Also, if I was in that, I would have choked in there. I was like. It's your fault. It's your fault. <laughs> I would, they would have got. They should have got over the PA, PA system. And be like, he's he's missing again. 
Yeah. We don't know where he's at. No ask, no questions. He's gone. <laughs> Whoops. He's gone. Lost him. He poochied. Uh... <laughs> he poochied. Right. But also, when they released him, they like, did they release John at all? Did they release, like, what? Is he out too, or is he just like he? He is out too. Let's, that's in the, but that's in the end credits. Yeah. Though. Let's Got let's it. get into this research. Let's let's talk about some things. Um, so let's just do the facts first. I'll go through the facts because uh, yes. there's some stuff from the filmmakers that is interesting to dissect. But here's the thing: when you look into what did and did not happen, a lot of shit did not happen. I mean, they tell you up front, we made a lot of this shit up, right? And so. <laughs> What's what's crazy is when you get into the research, there's people who are still to this day. There is a podcast that some British people made in 2019 where they're like, look, we've got secret tapes that nobody's ever heard about Reuben Carter that we can like implicate this. him in the murder of these people and like all this other stuff. We want to tell the side of the police and the prosecutor and all the other people. And I'm like, mm, you know, we do all that. Uh, but you know, like there's still people to this day that are still kind of like, I don't know, that nigga seemed guilty to me based Bro, on. Please no don't tell evidence. me Ruben Carter's OJ. Please don't oh, tell no, me. No, 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 no. no. We'll, <laughs> okay. we'll get into it. But it's like. No, he went back to get that belt. He was like, that's my belt. Yeah. When you, <laughs> when you, when you read through a lot of the stuff, there's, there's certain things where people are like, we, we still want to paint him in the worst light possible mm-hmm. because we have feelings about him and here's the thing where he grew up that town hella racist super racist part of the story right that they don't really get into is like i think one of the things and one of the reasons maybe lesra is not around for an hour of this movie is this is the thing i guess you could just do in the 70s white people just walking up to your house knocking on your door asking you questions about a murder that happened 30 years ago most white people if a black person said hey i'd like to talk to you about Uh -uh. this criminal case i think this black man is innocent specifically in this town i don't even think they would answer the door i think they would have called the cops so uh (laughs) that may explain some things but so here's the thing so first like we talked about first of all Della pesca not a real person right like at all all of that it's stuff so about- easy that this, this movie is definitely trying to make a villain out of like you can see that it's like we yeah. just, just morphed all the villains into this guy right well also, spe- go ahead the white guys who play those roles i mean going through like what is Come what on. are the meetings like what are the auditions like because yeah. he he, they said it's a bulldogish looking man who's racist. He was like, "Say no more." Yeah. I'll see you guys on Monday. I got you. And he just played the hell out of it. He gave well, it because of the and this is I think it's it was uh, Rod Morrow from the Black Guy Who Tips and Robert Junior were talking about it on a podcast where they're like, as much as these movies subsist, you know, in terms of like all of the of the good white people, like somebody's got to be racist, right? Like somebody has to be the racist person the racist who's guy. like hates black people to like their molecular <laughs> level you know through I mean? and through <laughs> and that's he, he does it day to day he does it like he really is, is he selling it. it but it's like what a crazy like i don't even understand why they thought this would be the narrative through line to follow of like found him at 11 was was initially was like literally like i hate that child <laughs> 
that I hate <laughs> black people because of you. <laughs> Look at that face. Look at, Look that at those face. tiny legs. Look at that shirt you're wearing. You listen to that stutter. Guy. You're going to jail forever. You know what I mean? And it's like, so he, fo- he follows him for, for for his whole life. He's always there. The wildest part, and this is true. It was like when I read it, I was like, all right, I guess like they're not making that up. But like the part where they take them into the hospital and the man is dying, and they're like, hey, these two niggas shoot you, and he's like. I'm, I'm bleeding. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can yeah, barely I'm, see. I'm about to die. I'm about to die, bro. <laughs> but even he's kind of just like subtly like, not those niggas. <laughs> not that and then Della Pesca is like, nah, nah, nah. Step Take, up closer, look, look bro. Again. Hey, oh, hey, look again. Look him up. <laughs> o- open his eyes that are closing. Yeah, open open that bloody eye that's been shot yeah. out. And the, tell him some life in it. CPR this nigga so he can call Get the defibrillator. Guilty. Yeah, because even the doctors are like, I mean, we're trying to save his life, but I guess he could answer a question right now. Even with the people at the bar. And we're like, them? Nah. I'm like, all right. Well. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, it's what a crazy thing to get to try to make people believe is like his entire life, this one singular police officer who doesn't age at all until the very end of the movie is how he ages 30 years at once. Absolutely a lie, right? So the truth about Reuben Carter's early years is that he was a kid who was angry, who was living on the streets, who did get into trouble with the police. There is record of him robbing somebody for a watch, $55 and all that stuff. He did get kicked out of school. He did get sent to this reform school. Eventually, he leaves that school. He does join the military. He's in the military for a few years. He is beats the heavyweight champion in the military like he has a successful boxing career but he gets course court-martialed four times and eventually is discharged from the military and that's when he goes back to new jersey right and so what happens from then on um is he is very outspoken publicly in a jack johnson kind of way or white people Mm. don't like what he has to say about being black in America. And that stuff is more, there's that one random scene where you just cut to him, three black people and a white man in a bar. And you're like, where's this going? Cause there's riots happening. <laughs> and like, and, and he says something to the effect of, well, the white man's like, Oh, if you, if you're so passionate about it, why aren't you out there and say, cause you asked me to be here. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but then he's like, why the hell would you say this stuff to the paper? Yeah. Well, he was like, it's off the record. And he's like, it's never off the record, you idiot. No, <laughs> nothing's off the record. You're yeah. a reporter. <laughs> Everything is on the record all the damn time. So, but he, he did gain a reputation during those years of being just like very outspoken. And this is, so here's the thing, right? Because this is where a lot of people, get upset with Reuben Carter in the sense of like I can't believe like there's a I think there's a clip of him or like a interview of him saying you know if he had a gun during you know the riots like he would have shot a police officer and like all this stuff and it's like go watch an interview with Malcolm X go watch those interviews where white people are getting to ask Muhammad Ali questions Go watch like <laughs> any Black Panther, you know, like any, like black people felt like that 
in the 60s. They were like, 1, fuck this shit. We are, because here's, if we're getting historical, just for a brief second, like the thing about the 60s in that time and black men specifically, and this is where you can get into a little bit about why Rupert Carter may have been so angry, is that at this <laughs> point, right, we, we had done Reconstruction. That didn't work out, right? Like we had fought in World War One, World War Two. Promises were made. That didn't work out. It's 1950. It's 1960. People have fed the fuck up with so much stuff that like you can you can just feel it simmering when you hear people in those interviews like if you go back and watch some of the interviews post the watts riot and like people talking in the street like people are pissed off about everything because at that point in american history you can't do shit right cops are watching you all the time you are exposed every day to newsreels of black people being bitten by dogs sprayed by hoses beaten by police stories of churches being bombed all this other stuff going on so when he says if i had a gun i would shoot a police officer i think that's just a daily sentiment (laughs) that black people of the time probably held and so that's but that's some of the stuff some of that language some of the more militant posturing that he had that white people say he was just an angry black man you know who who was probably like that's why i believe he could have done it because like look how he was talking about you know shooting people and like doing all this other stuff i think you could be angry and not a murderer i think both of those <laughs> at the same time you ever stub your toe you're like god damn it my toe hurts but you've never been like i'm gonna murder the next person I because i stubbed my toe now racism in the 60s is like stubbing your toe every time you walk outside right and everybody had to deal with it. every every black person had to deal with it not every single one of us murdered no actually not even not even that it's more like you stub your toe some days and other days white people take ball peen hammers to your big toe <laughs> just cause right. so right and then they're like your toes don't hurt yeah and you're <laughs> like but what and they're like but what about our toes yeah, while you're, while you're screaming, holding your bloody toe, they're like, what about our toes? Our, every day I wake up about how much my toes hurt, and you guys are complaining about Our toesies hurt, too. All toesies matter. All toes. I have 10 of these things I need to worry about every day, and you... I don't know about Negro biology. Nine, eight, nine. How many y'all got again? I heard. I heard they have eleven. Just one strong toe and ten other ones. Just to, you know, I don't. But like, yeah. So it that just because you angry don't make you a murderer. Yeah. I think that like you know you people had those sentiments back then. I don't think everybody was as vocal about it. But look yeah. at like Stokely. Stokely used to get up in the sixties in the South. And yep. be like, let these white motherfuckers try me. I will. I. I, I am not about this nonviolent life. No. Well, he said, he had a, a chair that was crossed by two rifles. Yeah. Come on, like, yo. Look, come, come, come here. I did be. I did be Wells way back in the day. Was like, I. I will shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> That's my brand. I would be shooting white people. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I mean, I think that's that's what and. You know, um, we live in a time where I think a lot of people have forgotten a lot of stuff, but like white people hated Muhammad Ali. Like they hated that they, nigga. They, they hated him. You know we gotta I mean? 
they gotta stop softening black people. You don't think yeah. bad CJ Walker walked up to some white lady and was like, I'll burn your hair off. I'll do it right now. <laughs> <laughs> but no, they just they were like, Wow, she reminds us so much of Oprah. No, she was probably like, I will I will lace front the hell out your ass and and call it a Monday. I do not care. <laughs> so that's the thing. Like his his public demeanor, public face demeanor was very pro black, very militant, and that Drew, the police specific. I mean, again, remember we're talking about the days of COINTELPRO, Pro, a lot of other stuff. Police didn't like him. White people didn't like him, right? And so we get to the point of the murders where a lot of things are happening at this time. But he's well. I guess we should also backtrack to the Giardella fight, where in the movie mm-hmm. it's portrayed as this racial fix, where you know everybody in the audience knew that Reuben Carter won that fight, but somehow they gave it to this white man because yada yada. Not true. Giardella sued the makers of the movie for uh, like debasing this character and and didn't win because they settled out of court and just gave him some money. And then on the like DVD commentary. Uh, Jewess had had to say what a great fighter he was and like what a true champion he was. Um, and, oh, not a statement of character. Yeah, oh, even no. even even Reuben Carter said, yeah, he beat me. Like he won that fight. Like it wasn't oh, a setup in any way. So like that Listen, was another big. They could have left that out of the movie too. Yeah, That's crazy. Movie, they said some things are embellished. You yeah. gotta listen. <laughs> you know they warned everybody. Now yeah. But that's crazy because that that scene only exists to literally be like a small lesson in racism. Like white people be lying sometimes, which you don't need that. Literally, that's the point of the movie. The point of the movie is white people lied on Ruben and sent him to jail multiple times. You don't need the the fight scene to tell me that at all. No. Yeah, I think there there were so many things. Yeah, go ahead. Uh Oh, no, I was I was going to just going to continue on. But did you have a thought? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think there were so many other things that they could have used instead yeah. of that. They could have they yeah. could have literally used any other thing that happened during that time to be like, you see, white people. And it would have been totally fine. I don't think that they needed that scene at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so here's what happens, right? Murder <laughs> happens. This is what this is what John Artis says, because everything kind of happens similar, except in real life. There was three people in the car, right? There was John Artis, there was uh, Reuben Carter, and there was a third man. And they leave out. They're driving around. Reuben's like, let's go back to my place first because I need to get something. And so on the way there, they get stopped by the police officer who stops them in the movie. And, you know, similar situation where he looks in the car. He's like, oh, Reuben, I didn't know it was you. And he's like, yeah, you know, what's, what's going on? He's like, oh, you know, there was a murder suspects you know people are saying it's two negroes driving a white car but there's three people in this car so you know like he lets them go right so they go they drop the other guy off and then on the way back to ruben's house they get pulled over by the same police officer and that's when like they get basically taken in because at that point they're like oh so two people are in this car now you know like we're going to use that as the evidence that we need because, you know, this is the car, this car matches the description. There's two black people in here. And basically everything kind of happens the same way where they take them to the scene of the murder, you know, looking for identification. They don't get identified. They take them to the 
hospital where the person has been shot to get identified. He says, not these people. Um, but they've got two witnesses, right? So they've got the two people who you see in the movie, right? And these are two people who admit to having been committing a burglary at the time. Uh, one of them was the lookout for a burglary. The other one was committing the burglary. But they do see, like, they hear shots and then they see the car drive away. Right. So originally when they are asked about what happened, if it was two Negroes, et cetera, et cetera, they say, well, you know, we didn't really see the people, but we saw the car. I don't think it was a black person. You know, it's a different kind of car, yada, yada. And the police are kind of like, but didn't you see two Negroes driving a car that matches this description? And also, wouldn't it be convenient if it was Reuben Carter and... If you say yes, then we won't charge you with the murder, the the robbery that you were committing, because uh, one of the people also did like in the movie, like rob the bar afterwards when he was, you know, uh, trying to see what would happen. So like they're basically they show like, that part really funny too. Like yeah. that, that's a that's it's kind of funny. He's literally going through the cash register, and that woman is yeah. like, "You you going to continue to rob the place?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I want the money." So at the trial, right, like that's that's basically what it is, right? There's no physical evidence. There's no other kind of evidence. It's just these two men say we saw and the all red jury said you got it, right? So they're convicted first degree murder, but there is a recommendation of mercy. So they're not given the death sentence, um, but they get basically consecutive life sentences, right? <sighs> Plot twist, though, right? In 1974, Bello and Bradley, the two men who are the big uh, eyewitnesses, withdraw their eyewitness testimony. They say, actually, that's not what happened. We didn't see that. We were coerced into saying that by the police, right? And obviously the police don't like that, but this kind of gets out there into the world. This is where the Bob Dylan song comes from and Mom and Elise, you know, speaking up for him. Um, so basically, like, there's a whole second trial or like an appeal process and artists and, and Carter win the trial, right? Basically they are released into the world, right? Like they have a brief period where they get out, but there's a new trial, right? And New Jersey is not letting the shit go. They're like, Hey, I don't like that. These niggas got out of jail. I don't like how this went down. And then guess who shows up? One Alfred Bellow again, this time saying, actually, I did see those two black people <laughs> commit this murder. And I'll say that on the stand. And so they come back <sighs> again, right, with this trial. Uh, this is the trial that basically sets him in jail for, you know, up until the Canadian people come in, right? And this trial is also where they introduce a racial element of there was a black tavern owner who was murdered that night. And they claim that this was retaliation for that, right? So, like, the motivation for this murder is that Reuben Carter heard about this black man being killed, was so upset about it that he went to a random bar full of white people and just shot it up. And that was enough for the second jury to say, you know what? Yes, we're going to give you more life sentences uh, and put you back in jail. Golly. This is where it gets weird, right? Because, like, so much of what you see in the movie kind of happened but kind of didn't. So Lesra is in Brooklyn. He does get picked up by these people who are working for the EPA. The way that it's described is very bizarre because 
I I get it. I get why it was done this way in the movie, and I get why they kind of go about it the way they do in a lot of the press interviews. But in reality, the Canadian people are living in a commune. There's 10 of them, right? These two people, two or three people that you see in the movie are the ones that go down to Brooklyn, and they're working over the summer there. In Canada, they have a home restoration business, basically is what they do. And so I don't know why they're with the EPA. That's kind of a strange situation that's happening there. But, you know, Lesra meets them. They, like, take him up to Canada briefly for, like, a day or so. And then he comes back to Brooklyn, and he's in Brooklyn for a while. He's calling them every day, and he's talking to them every day. And he's talking to his parents about, like, hey, like, you know, these people are saying they might be able to help me, yada, yada, whatever. And so, like, his parents, like Cameron said, alcoholics. And, like, he's kind of like, this would give me a, a better chance to, you know, get an education and all that. So they let him go up to Canada. He's living with them. He does find the book in a used book bin. He does read the story and, like, become very enamored with Reuben Carter. He does send him the letter. Reuben Carter writes back. They start up this friendship. All of that stuff is true, right? Mm-hmm. Then when they go down, this is where the movie turns into, like, a true crime podcast kind of situation where it's like and only these three random white people who have no law degree or expertise can solve this 25 year old murder case and like figure this stuff out in reality this is like because of the abundance of work that had already been done up until this point right like the lawyers try to say a lot of people have come around and tried to do some work but also a lot of people have come around and tried to do some work so there's a lot of stuff that people had already done up until this point like reuben carter had you know multiple private detectives and investigators working on the case he had these two lawyers who were working pro bono on the case more or less what the movie wants you to think is that these white people went around and did all of this stuff on foot a lot of that was work that the private investigators did. What the white people did more or less was like paralegal work, right? Like they filed documents, they like made connections, they reviewed things, they tried to find inconsistencies. So like a lot of what they did was not finding key evidence, but more so going over evidence, cross-referencing evidence, trying to figure out what was true and what wasn't true. And eventually what happens is they go and they file the federal for the federal trial for a writ of habeas corpus, basically insisting that, you know, all of the stuff that happened before was racially motivated, right? Like detectives are lying. Uh, Bello is lying. Like we have evidence to prove that all of this is not true. Right. And there's not, at least to my knowledge, at least from what I found any like detective writing a, a 911 permission, you know, slip, sign off that like match the handwriting of this other person like that's not what really broke the case but was more so like just pure legal work (laughs) and so like they get all of that right now here's where things get like basically love and hip-hop like crazy afterwards because (laughs) all that happens they get freed right i do want to mention too right so John Artis is on record saying that when he got arrested, he was 19, had no criminal record, nothing of the sort. Right. And so like multiple times the police came to him and said, hey, we know you didn't really have anything to do to do with this, but 
we really want to get Reuben Carter. So if you just say that he did it, like you can go free. Like you don't have to be in jail. Nothing's going to go on your record. Like you're a free man. And like multiple times, John Artis turned that down, said no, went to like he served all that time, went to jail with him, got out in like 15 years, I think, on uh, on bail or on bond probation. Um, but like he was not going to turn on Reuben Carter, like multiple times they kept trying to get him to flip on him, wouldn't flip on him. Right. So afterwards, <laughs> when you were reading those vibes of Denzel and that white woman, oh. Reuben Carter marries Lisa Peters. <laughs> Bro, no. What? Oh, no. no. Okay. No. I called, what did I, oh, I, Oh, no, I, oh, I it. no, because no. I was the like, power of the white woman. No, she leaned in too, she leaned in too close. Uh, yeah. she, she uh, I was like, This is uh, in my notes. I have this is the second white woman Denzel's gonna sleep with after he got game. Like, <laughs> oh, damn, yeah. <laughs> I'm dead. I knew it. I, yeah, oh, I knew it. So they get married, right? He's moved up to live in the commune with these people, Lesra living with them, you know, goes off to college, does all the stuff. Here's a New York Times article <laughs> that this is the, this is the, these are the last paragraphs. After his release, Mr. Carter married Mrs. Peters, but soon ended our relations with her and the commune members, asserting in his biography that they patronized him as a trophy horse whose main purpose was to raise money for the group. He further complains that the commune tried to control his life with members escorting him everywhere and censoring his words. As for Mr. Martin, he was expelled. His crime dating a woman without the commune's permission. What? <laughs> what? Oh, okay. <laughs> I do have to actually get this straight. They found his ass, right? They were like, you are so downtrodden. We need to bring you to Canada. We need to educate you with Canadian universities and everything. We need you, Lesra. Got him, got him to take Ruben to trial, change their lives, change their lives. Brought Ruben over, who married the white lady. And then married they, their white woman. Then they kicked him out for dating somebody they didn't pick. Get the fuck out of here, what? I mean, come on. Why the fuck you lying? Why you always lying? Oh my God. Lying. That's the part they didn't want in the movie. Wow. <laughs> wow. But I like that they <laughs> took the time to allude to it. Like, have Denzel get right up in this woman's face. Like, yeah, what you think? What do you think about this child? <laughs> you, you, got, you, got something behind, you got something behind your ear right there. You think, you think I did it? Tell me. <laughs> yeah, tell, tell me again. Because <laughs> she was giving him the eyes. <laughs> and really there was is. like a lot of lingering looks between them that I was like, is this, is this intentional? Like, do you want me to read into this or is this? Just I thought, yeah, I've read it. Really something that, <laughs> I gave the movie the benefit of the doubt. I was like, no, they're just working really hard. <laughs> uh, I read into it. I know, listen, I, get, I, I, I work a corporate job. I give corporate eyes and I give non-corporate <laughs> eyes. <laughs> they stopped giving corporate eyes about 20 minutes into working on that case. <laughs> it was, they, she was just case? like I'm in this with you we getting you out of jail so now that now that you know <laughs> both sides who Ruben Carter was right you know what I mean like 
in the sense of, you know, he before he went into prison, he did live a violent life. You know, he was, you know, arrested for some muggings. You know, he was involved in some criminal behavior, not totally like all the time, but like was prone to violence, was angry. When you listen mm-hmm. to interviews with him now, I'll play this briefly, right? So you can kind of hear him talk because this is an interview he gave in 1975 in prison. Actually, I'm only existing. I'm, I'm surviving because if I try to live in prison, then I got to die, you see. Uh, so this is just a one continuous survival. Survival of the fittest, so to speak. And that is part of my everyday life here. Uh, brutality. Uh, humiliation. I realize that I am here in prison, uh, but I, I, I committed no crime to be here in prison. The crime was committed against me. I refuse to be treated as a criminal. I refuse to be treated as a non-entity. I am somebody. Right. So, I mean, again, you listen to him talk like Denzel's doing him, and maybe, maybe he's doing Denzel in reverse. But like, I, I was about to say, I think there's a little <laughs> bit of transference going on there. Yeah, but... You know, like he was somebody who had a lot of complicated things in his existence, right? Like he wasn't this kind of like ultra, like not even altruistic, but like the way that they kind of painted him is like, and he rose above and like did so much to, to transform his life. And I think what's missing, and we can start getting a little bit into how we'd re- reimagine this movie, because I think what's missing for me so many of these movies where they try to like black people have to be exceptional for a person to even consider dropping everything to like take up their case and like get them out of prison and do all this stuff you know what i mean like we talked many times on this podcast about respectability politics right you know what i mean because like if michael or in the blind side instead of listening to rod bass is listening to three six mafia like he probably was i don't know if white people are like uh, <laughs> he well, seems scary. a little scary. Ooh. Yeah, you know what Ooh. I mean. So if Reuben Carter in this movie, instead of talking about self actualization and like how you know the the system will never break him and he'll come over, and more so like white people been fucking me over my whole life and I'm tired of this shit. I might that kill one. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> if pushed too far, I'm angry and black. And if they're like about that one like maybe you know in the same way that after every young black person is murdered by the police they're like yeah but look at this facebook photo of them holding money to their ear or like listen to them rap these rap lyrics it's kind of scary maybe they did deserve to be shot 16 times you know (laughs) and that's what it is i think even in those movies is truly like you got to be so squeaky clean you know like deserve life (laughs) You have to deserve life. Like if there was a, if there was any reason for him to not deserve it, then like then there's somebody going. Well, I mean, he should be in there in the first place. Look at what he's done in the past, and yada right. yada yada. I mean, to be honest, though, again, I don't. I mean, he mugged, sure. He robbed, sure. You know, things like that. He he didn't have a squeaky clean past. Did he murder someone? <laughs> right. No. <laughs> That is all that matters to me. Okay, right. you can do what I mean. Listen, uh, I mean, even look at like the whole George Floyd thing. They were like, "Well, he had drugs in his system, and he's robbed before, and you know, whatever." You know, he, okay, great. Did did he deserve anything that happened to him in that moment? No. Right. So if that is the question, and if that is the answer, 
then I want to see somebody not be squeaky clean and still get justice, you know, served and and make sure that justice prevails in the situation. That's why, like, sometimes I talk about, like, political figures and stuff like that on stage where I just try to, like, humanize them a bit because I think that, like, even with, like, Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King used to be a hoe. He was hoeing out hard. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right? But that doesn't play into the narrative of why can't we be more like MLK? He was nonviolent. He was squeaky clean. He was this pastor. He was a good guy. And so, like, if you humanize everybody then it is okay to be human and still expect due process in the law and i think that, yeah. that right right that these movies get wrong is that it makes us so squeaky clean that when real shit happens in real life they're like well i mean it's understandable that he would get out of jail because he would they didn't do anything wrong he was squeaky yeah. clean it doesn't right. make any sense to me let me read you a quote from executive producer rudy Linglayas. When you see these two white people and a young black kid and this wrongly accused boxer standing on the courthouse steps after the convictions were overturned, we want you to feel good, to feel like the system works for people sometimes. And that is telling me, hey, maybe we got to bend the truth a little bit because who who do we want to feel good? It's not black people. It's white people, right? We want you to feel like maybe we don't wrongly convict people of color time and time again or create crazy mandatory sentencing for things that probably black people and brown people are going to get caught up in instead of like actually just making a fair justice system for everybody. Right. Because like, if we do that, then we don't get the privilege of maybe getting away right. with the way right. that we want to. So it's, like, it's, it's like, it's not, it's, it's, it's not a one-to-one, but that's like trying to like, make Malcolm X palatable for white people. Like who gives a shit? That's not, right. it's, it's not for you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter what's been done. Like, right. You're right. That's right. Well, but if we don't, if we don't make things for white people, then it's a black movie. Right. And if it's a black movie, then it's not marketed in the same way as every other movie is. Yeah. Right. They're like, Oh, that's, a, that's, it's a black movie. We just go sit that over there and let black people enjoy that. And then yeah. we make this stuff for white people. And that's the issue. Yeah. Is that, like, who is this movie for? Who is any of these movies for? Do I really want to see a black man suffer in prison for 30 years and then finally have due process and get out? No. <laughs> but white people want to see that in a movie because at the end of the day, they go, we, we won one. And if we, we win, we can win two. <laughs> if we win two, we can win all of it. Like, it's, yeah. it, it's for them to feel good because... It, it is watching someone else do the work will make sure that they tip their barista a little bit more tomorrow, that yeah. they'll say hi to the doorman a little bit nicer, like whatever. It's 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 for them. And so when I see these movies, when I see these white savior films or these slavery movies or whatever, I'm like, this isn't for me. You're not making this movie for me. Yeah. So Real- stop. Yeah. So stop adding any of the elements in there that would make me happy. Why does he need a black friend in prison? Make it the whitest friend ever. Yeah. Why does he need, you know, uh, this black kid that they adopted, you know, around? Make him like the, the white UGG boot wearing, you know, <laughs> beanie hat, uh, you know, skater boy Chad white kid. Let it be the whitest thing ever if it's made for white people. You know. Yeah. Well, that's All the right. thing. I mean, yeah, it's real Miami. He LeBron introductory press conference, right? Not one, <laughs> not two. <laughs> but 
I think that's the thing. And then on the other side, right, like hearing Reuben Carter and hearing what happened to Lesra in the aftermath of moving up and living with these white people, that maybe that shit didn't really work out the way that everybody wanted it to. When you watch interviews years later, I think there's money involved. And so they all say nice things about each other and they all kind of like interact in a way that's like, hey, this book is coming out. These speaking engagements are coming through. Let's all just act as if everything's cool for the public so that we can all get this money. But in real life, we don't really fuck with each other, right? And I think that's kind of the thing, specifically the way that he's talking about it, where I don't like, would it be nice to believe in benevolent white people who just do things out of the kindness of their heart and like could just... (laughs) adopt a black kid or not even adopt a black kid just take in a black kid from brooklyn or like you know help get this man out of prison and expect nothing in return and just kind of like be able to go through the world and just do nice things for black people they decide hey you're funny or i think you're innocent or whatever the reason is where it's just like it's not even necessarily unbelievable that people do kind things but this movie goes so hard you know, and trying to make them like almost unrealistic, right? To the point of just like, I don't, I don't understand your motivations. I don't understand any of the things that are happening because you just seemingly are doing kind things to be kind because that's who, that's because you're Canadian. Cause that, you know, what I mean? <laughs> well, I think you just hit the nail on the head for real though. Cause the movie literally starts with them. And this is the thing we're rubbing up against is that they don't, Tell you what these people are up to until the movie is like a good chunk in, a good yeah. halfway through. They don't decide to like uh, detail what these people are doing. So you enter the movie, you enter the situation, and you exist in this situation for an hour of it, just yeah. being like, these are just benevolent, these are just really, really nice white people who really wanted to help this one downtrodden Brooklyn boy. Yeah. Like that's, and, that. and that's. Hmm? We're, not, we're not gonna act like Sabretooth wasn't right there. Sabretooth, Sabretooth was there. Was, Sabretooth was there. Was there. No one, he's been yeah. fighting Logan for centuries <laughs> now. And this is and it's in Canada too. Yeah. Mm. Mm. the dots. Just so, open open that third eye again. Open, it's opening. It's opening. So Sabretooth in one of his past lives is living with this white family trying to get black people out of jail to atone for murdering people year after year after year <laughs> to Logan. And we gonna act like that's just not a subplot of the movie that no one's bringing up. Okay. Right. Look, if, if Wolverine had burst through the courthouse. <laughs> hey, bug. I heard you was six. six. <laughs> I would have, that would have made, I would have, I have a very different opinion of this film. You would have woke up, you would have woke up, you would have like, damn, this is a good ass movie. Um, well, let's briefly get into our favorite game, which is figuring out what this movie got on all these different aggregate review sites. Um, we go through IMDb, we go through Amazon, and we go through Rotten Tomatoes. So, Drexton, we're going to start with IMDb. Out of 10, what do you think the hurricane currently has? And they do it on a point system. 7.5. Okay. Cam. Oh, that was strong out of the gate. You confident. <laughs> uh, 
7.6. So just point. point Yo, that's off. crazy high. That is like Godfather numbers. What are you talking about? White I, white people love their hurricane. Oh my god, that's, that's I don't think way it's too high. That. Yeah. No, I'm. I know it doesn't deserve that. But seven five, seven six. Yeah. I think there's so there's there's two schools of thought, right? There's people who are like, this movie's cap, and I didn't like it because it lied. <laughs> And then there's people who are just like, this is an incredible movie that moved me and made me cry. And I feel things watching Ruben Carter's story. And there's more of them than the other. <laughs> um, I guess so. And like I said, I think a lot of it is just you get swept up in the Denzel of it all, right? Like you really are just like his performance. Like we talked about when he's doing that one man show in isolation or when he's, you know, talking to his lawyers or, you know, every scenes he has with uh, Lesra. Like there's a lot of stuff where you're just like, this is what, this is why I came to watch this movie. I came to watch Denzel Washington be Denzel Washington. This is what he does. And this, yeah, yeah, this is what they do. And like Uh, our conversation earlier, it's still a Denzel movie. It's still mm -hmm. a top tier movie. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Of movies, but of a Denzel movie, it's middle of the ground. This is Life of Pablo. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is Life of Pablo. It's mid-tier, but it's still top-tier compared to everything that was happening in that year of that time. Right. It's got no more parties in L.A., and you're like, I like that song. Yeah, man, come on. (laughs) Your father stretched my hands like... Top Kanye intro. I'm not going. Yeah, hey, yeah. skip, 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 skip. Well, I mean, I mean, ultra light beam. So sorry, ultra light beam. Don't let me get mixed up on. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Ultra light beam. Yep. Ultra light beam. Solid intro. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's like, but is the whole album good? No. No. There's a lot of skip. <laughs> but that's the movie right. where Denzel is being Denzel. It's a great part, and it's everything you need. Everything outside of that, not so much. It's wolves. It's wolves. Oh, yeah. It's wolves. <laughs> Let's go over to Rotten Tomatoes. Jackson, what do you think it has out of 100%? 100%. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with my answer of 75%. Okay. Cam? Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah. Yeah. 70%. 83%. 83%. What? Critic score, 87% That's... audience score. That's cap. That's cap, yeah. bro. That's uh... cap. That whole shit. No. I think, you know, again, a lot of this movie is the goodwill of uh, Jewison and just Denzel's performance. And I think a lot of critics, while pointing out the kind of the sentimentality of everything, also were just like good filmmaking, strong lead performance. Good enough. You know, we liked it. We give it a positive score, you know, like I and it was also before a lot of the inconsistencies came out where people are kind of like oh this movie is just a lie but i think at the time i mean even roger ebert gave it i think three out of four stars so like you know i guess it, that's fair i feel like that's fair yeah three out of four is fair. i mean because it's not a two movie it's no. not a, a halfway it's not 50 percent. it's hmm but then I mean, again, it's like the third guy. The third guy is the like the third dude from the Mummy. <laughs> right. Those are the only two movies that guy's ever been. Like, what? I don't. I don't know what's going on there. I don't remember one thing that guy said. No. I don't remember any of their names. No. What are their names other than Lisa, who got yeah. who got a husband out of the deal? <laughs> right. But I only found out the Lisa thing because now the yeah. whole movie, I did not know any of their names. I knew Lesra. And I knew Ruben. Yeah. And I don't I don't remember I don't even remember his wife's name. Yeah. Wife. 
That's that's in the wife. credits. He's just Who's wife and baby. <laughs> Who's in? You don't know. Uh, wife out of five, it would be like it should be like a three five. Yeah. Also, wild. We never see his child again. <laughs> yeah, that baby got passed off. She got passed <laughs> off to the wife, and then never to be seen again. Wait a minute. I totally forgot about that because he told his wife to go and leave him alone. Yeah. For his entire child. Yeah. In reality, he had two kids. Uh, so <laughs> we didn't even oh, see come the, on the, the now, son. Come on. Uh, you run up to Canada to be in a comedy yeah. you know <laughs> with these white people with a white woman. Yeah. Oh my God, Ruben, <laughs> Ruben, I gotta, Ruben, yeah. Kim, I gotta get a white woman drop. Side eye. Uh, to... <laughs> All the white woman is. You gotta do that. What she, she got a big heart. She got a big heart. Um, well, <laughs> let's go to our absolute favorite, Amazon.com. Jackson, out of five stars, out of 2,403 global reviews, what do you think? <laughs> Not global reviews. Because now we brought now we brought the globe in, involved. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what do you think it's got? Oh, my gosh. I, I'm mad at this, and I'm going to say four. And I'm mm. mad at it because yeah. I feel like I'm right, and I don't want to be right about this. Cam? I got a feeling it's like 4.8. It's like 4.8. 4.7, might as well be five. Get the fuck out of here. I don't know. I'm, I'm ill. I, no. Yeah. What, no. These boys are acting like they got Mandela out of jail. This is Look, annoying. There are actual biopics that are like five out of five, 4.5 out of five. There are actual and biopics that Denzel Washington is in. Yeah. That's like people don't understand. Like, how you gonna sit? How you gonna watch three hours of Malcolm X and then watch two and a half hours of the Hurricane and be like, they are equal? These Wait, are equal did films. Malcolm X get less or more stars on Amazon did in this movie. Uh, let me look that up real quick. Yeah, come on, hit yeah, us with the facts. There's no way. If that's a four point seven, Malcolm X is like four point nine five easy. No, Malcolm X is like six point twelve out of like. There's no way. Uh, let's see. All right, Malcolm X is. It looks like five stars. I'm about yeah. to quit this podcast. Oh, yeah. four point. It's a four point eight out of out of five stars. So it's got that's, point that's, one more <laughs> than the hurricane. Spike, try harder. Do all, do better. Yeah, not not quite good enough. Didn't get you that Oscar either. So, uh, well. <laughs> Jackson, it's time to, for us to rate this on our caucasity ranking scale. And we've got three levels of caucasity for you. The first level is shorts in the winter. Not quite winter time yet, but <laughs> <laughs> we're starting to get into a bit of a cooler season. And again, shorts may be passable, right? Like if we're in the 60s, if we're even like dipping down into the low 60s, depending on how you feel, maybe you wear the high socks, you know, like cool, right? We're talking about 20 degrees. We're talking about snow on the ground. Yeah. We're talking about not going out to the mailbox, but like living your life in shorts out yeah. in the world, right? This is the level where nothing bad is happening. It's just we're curious about the choices that you're making, right? Like not offensive to me, not hurting me in any way. I just maybe like 
something happening in your legs that's like, you know, your vascular system is not working correctly and you're not getting the, <laughs> the right circulation down there. Like we, we have questions, but we're not concerned. Cam, what's the second level? So the second level of caucasity is this movie is touching my hair. And that's when there's an actual violence at stake now. Okay. So this movie probably wanted to know about your 4C kinky, wanted to know what was going on with the curls. Hmm. It's like, my hair doesn't do that. I want to know all about it. But before asking you the question, before being polite, before giving you the politeness, there's all, they're already knuckled deep. They're already knuckled deep in your follicles. Yeah. And, and, and you can't do anything about it other than rip your head away in confusion. <laughs> Now again, not a violence. You know they haven't right. ripped, they haven't taken blood or anything like that. But, the but they know tough. what they're doing. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. They know what they're doing. A line has been crossed for sure. Uh, the third level changes week to week, and we've got a. I mean, we could go with uh, Lauren Bobert. You know, kind of getting a little hands on at Beetlejuice, uh, <laughs> trying to get trying to get some juice. Uh, <laughs> Uh, with you know, a, if you say her name three times, it'll, well, I, I don't even want to say her name one time. Makes you grope her boob <laughs> in the middle of a Broadway show for kids. <laughs> I don't know. What does she do? Tell yeah, me. with with the Listen. man who runs a drag brunch at his bar uh, while she's trying to shut Oof. down. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> All kinds of nonsense. Listen, it, she's trying to make she's trying to grow the Republican Party one person at a time. Yeah, okay. it could be your boy Elon. <laughs> both trying to start a pay for system for X allegedly, oh uh, which nobody's paying for that shit. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't I'm call it X. I'm going to be an X member of X. What you talking about? <laughs> I refuse. It's Twitter in my heart. If I got to type yeah. in Twitter to get to it, it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It could be Elon also starting human trials for his uh, computer human uh, like network that he's trying to start where just basically neural linking people to computers. Except but, the monkeys died in trials. Yeah, well, you know, don't tell the people. Uh, that. I was, <laughs> I was also going to add these fools out here. The banning of the books wasn't enough. They needed to involve full flamethrowers mm. to burn the books. Yes. Okay. So there's uh, white people don't know ends. Because right. violence being acted upon, I was going to go with this, which I think is a story I just want people to know about because I'm sure it's kind of gone over some people's heads. In Georgia, the Gullah Geechee people are fighting against the erasure of their historical land, where currently some rich white people are moving closer and closer into uh, what is called Hawk Hammock, which is the area of the island that they live in, the Sepulo Island. There's about 40 residents there. It was previously designated as a historical site, but recently white people have had that changed. And so now they can start to move in and maybe quite possibly gentrify this Gullah Geechee area. If you don't know the Gullah Geechee people, they are descendants of enslaved people who escaped and created their own land in their own ways and their mm -hmm. own culture. And so they're trying to preserve that, but it seems like white people just can't let shit be. So that's that level where it's like you were saying a very much so a violence and very much. So, you know what you're doing. If something has been designated historical site and you decide, Nah, not historical in my book. Nah, not in the history nah, books like that, that I burn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they just can't let shit be. So out of those three levels, where do you think the hurricane lands? Mm. Okay. Out of those three levels, I got to go with Elon charging for X. Because I think 
that they knew they were making a white savior film, but tried to tell us that they were not making a white savior film yeah. the entire time that we're watching a white savior film. I yeah. mean, even some of the long shots on Denzel when he got out of prison, like trying to thirst trap Denzel, mm, uh, like the first time. I was like, okay, I see what y'all are trying to do. Y'all are trying to make him the, the central focus and take away the whiteness part of this. But the whiteness is the undercurrent of the entire movie. You know exactly what you're doing. Just like Lauren, Lauren Boebert in the middle mm. of Beatles, you knew exactly what you were doing. <laughs> and yet continued on until she got kicked out. Yeah, This is where the egregiousness of this movie is for me. It's a little bit past touching my hair because – Oh my God, I've never seen hair like this before. Oh, you've seen it before and you knew not to touch it, but you thought if you came in with product and was like, oh, let me try this product out in your hair, then you would be different about it. That's where this movie lies for me. Mm. I got to give it a level two. All right, Cam, what do you think? Uh, I think it's a little, I think you're right, but I think it's also a little bit more insidious than that a little bit. Like it's, I think it's, Hair 0.5 for me, so I think it's like a 2.5 for me. Not quite a full three, not quite like, you know, just just rude and racist, but <laughs> this movie is trying to, you're, you're right, it's trying to sneak in the white privilege, even though mm. it doesn't understand that the white privilege is literally abounding. Yeah. And the lens and the gaze and mm. all this, like, right? I'm looking at this movie through the white part of the experience. The director is a white man directing it and showing me how I'm supposed to feel about, you know, crimes committed upon me or my race vis-a-vis, you know, Ruben's situation. And then tries to, like, cut around parts of so many parts of the story that they don't deem, like, necessary, even though it turns out that those parts are actually, like, probably the more important things to know about this specific case. Mm Mm-hmm. And for that, it's not quite just like rude, but yeah. it's pretty, it's pretty <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, I got to drop. I haven't played in a while. I don't know if I played this before. Yes, what is this? Huh? This is whack. I can't get jiggy with this shit. And I feel like. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I guess that's how I feel. You know what I mean? Like, this movie is is really trying to sell you on the Denzel of it all. And like, I'm buying that. Like, give me more of that. But once you kind of look under all of the facts and, you know, some of the stuff that really could, I think, have made for a much more interesting movie. Like, yeah, what is it like to be a militant black man in a racist town in New Jersey where everybody's like, I basically would like to kill you? You know what I mean? Like, what is it like? Right from jump to, like, <laughs> as a child. God damn you with your black ass. Yeah, I, I, I wish you. I could put you in jail for longer, but I can't because you're but 11. Like, <laughs> ready. You ready. I mean? If it was 40 years ago, we just, yeah, we just take you out to the river and drown you. But I, guess I thought it was the South. <laughs> the first, when he got arrested when he was 11, I thought it was the South. I, yeah. the, the, how Southern that judge felt. <laughs> I was like, ooh. Is this Virginia? What is going on? Foghorn Leghorn, yeah. Uh, I think, (laughs) you know, so like that's more interesting. Like Ezra, Lesra gets moved from Bushwick, Brooklyn to Canada. (laughs) What's that like? (laughs) A lateral move. You know what I mean? Stop. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) No. 
Same story. He said Bushwick to the six. No different. (laughs) But it's like, you know, he's moving away from his friends, his family, everybody he's ever known to live with these more or less strangers. I mean, you met them for a summer. Like, I don't really know what that's like. You know, there's so many more interesting things happening here. And a lot of the things we tend to focus on, not really that interesting. Denzel is interesting, but everything else kind of not really up to par. So I feel like, I, yeah, I got to lean in the in the 2.5, mostly because I think I agree with you, Jerexton, in the sense that this is kind of like them serving up, like we made the potato salad. We knew not to put the raisins in, but we didn't season it. You know, yep. <laughs> so it's like we, and they want the credit for the raisin part, right? They want the credit for that's no. right. <laughs> but did you see? Yeah, I, I I didn't do that because I knew I was coming to Keisha's cookout. Right. But this shit's yeah, basically for you. It's basically mayonnaise, though. You know what I mean? Like you didn't. <laughs> there's no paprika. There's no, no no seasoning. No salt. No yeah. chopped up onions. No chopped up onions for flavor. No. It's basically deviled eggs in a box. <laughs> and so they're just Lots like deviled eggs. You know, we got we got one part. Give us full credit, you know, and it's like mm, you're kind of dancing around a lot of things that I'd really like to know more about. You're not giving me the literal truth, you know, and like we talk about with these movies. Sure. Am I expecting the documentary? It's I'm not watching the documentary like you're going to do some things in the nature of, you know, trying to collapse some timelines and put some things together, make a compelling narrative. You know, there's a part in the deleted scenes where Jewison is saying, like, we had the scene where one of the Canadians goes and talks with the cab driver who was there that night. And he basically says, I heard on the police scanner that, you know, this murder had happened. And then a few minutes later, I pull up to the nightclub where I see Reuben Carter. Right. So like as an eyewitness, I know, or like just as somebody who was there that night, I know I heard that before I saw him. So there's no way that he could have done that. But Jewison was like, I don't know. That kind of takes the drama out of the end of the movie. And I'm like, but what? Like, I think he if- freed him. He literally. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't think I, mean... I think it's more dramatic that you have this person who's refusing to testify. Right. Withholding this crucial evidence that could basically turn this whole case around. And you're having to go without that and risk it in federal court. Like, I feel like you're kind of missing what the real dramatic point of this is. So, you know, there's stuff like that where you hear it and you're just like, I don't know if everybody involved in making this movie really understood what the interesting parts of this movie were and instead tried to give me, you know, like this unseasoned side dish and like pass it off as like the main course. And I'm just like, I'm not all the way out in the sense of like, Again, Denzel doing his thing. Even, you know, the, the, the kid playing, you know, Lesra is like, he's he's working. He's doing like people are like acting, you know, but it's just like can, to what end? I can take an unseasoned dish for an hour and a half. Sure. <laughs> Don't give me two hours and 45 minutes of an unseasoned dish. Yeah. Either have the movie idea together and figure out what the good parts are of the case and make that happen or don't make the movie. Right. I don't want to. I listen. I will eat your bad potato salad at a courtesy. I knew it was unseasoned when I opened the Tupperware. Yeah. I knew it was like <laughs> you tried by not putting the raisins in it. Understood. But I'm not going to sit here and be like, you know what we need? 
more of this potato salad. No. I took two bites. (laughs) And I smiled. (laughs) Smiled through it. Right. And then I was like, where's the dog? Let me just uh, take a little (laughs) thanks. Clean plate. Um, Yeah. Well, I I think we, we got to the bottom of the hurricane. Yeah, I think so. A lot of fun for us. I hope you had fun, Drexton. I had uh, so much fun. I, I got. I want to come back now. Now I just want to watch white savior films. Oh boy! And yell and yell at my TV about it. Like, we we chose this life. You could. You still have a chance to get. I was about to say, yes. <laughs> get, get, get out while you can. Run! Can't run! Every time I leave, they they pull me back in. <laughs> um, but you know, tell everybody as much as you can within the confines of strike talk and all that stuff. Tell everybody what you got going on. I know you got some stand up going on. Tell people about dates. Let people know where they can find you on social media. All that good stuff. Yeah, I got a lot of stand up coming up. You can uh, follow those shows and find those shows at my website of drexandclemens dot com. Also, uh, I just shot a special. We're in the process of shopping it around right now, nice. but hopefully it'll be on a platform by the end of this year, early next year. Congrats. Very cool. Very cool. Cam, what about you? Uh, you can catch me on my corporate job. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, some things in the cooker. Um, I don't even know. I, I, I actually have so many things I can't talk about. And then, you know, also strike pending. So, you know, just, just know your guys, your guys book. Hmm. But cannot cannot speak. Mm. Um, but follow me on X until this nigga tries to cough, make me cough up some five ninety nine for this shit. Okay, uh, wait, wait, wait. How much do you think? Okay, he's gonna let's do it. Let's do it. Let's right. do it. Because I just can't imagine. He said a small charge. But what does that mean? Because like I can't imagine paying anything. Right, but like I yeah. What would you What would you pay for something that was free for seventeen years (laughs) and great while it was free and where people were verified, so you knew what an actual like news tweet was. Right. Versus people are people are messing with Woj tweets and Shams tweets. Yeah, I can't. I can't. So is 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 blue check still seven ninety nine? Yeah. Yeah. I can't. I can't see him charging less than. Five ninety nine. I mean, like, why would you already too much? Yeah, but why would you charge? You can't charge more than the blue check, but like, why would you charge significantly less than that? You know what I mean? Like, lost a billion dollars on this. Yeah, you know. But I just don't know. He he lost a billion. No, he lost what? He lost what? Twenty two? Did he? Billion? No, million? Was it billion with a B? I think it was billion. He paid for Twitter dot com. Yeah. I mean, he's 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 out. Forty-four billion dollars. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the wrong number. Right. So I don't even if he charged a dollar, right? Like there ain't forty-four billion people on the planet. But also, (laughs) like (laughs) even even then, I think you're dramatically cutting out the people who are actually going to use it. So I mean, I don't even think he's going to get. He might get like a million maybe because there's a lot of thirsty people out there who would still do stuff you know in that vein but like i don't think he's gonna get the amount of people that he's thinking about and then the people that he loses aren't gonna come back if he provokes the the charge threads isn't that good yet like it still needs time to get good yeah right 
And then also with Twitter, people are used to having a massive following of people that don't right. know that. Threads is like, here are all your Instagram friends. Like, I didn't yeah. need these people here. <laughs> TikTok is such a random algorithm. Yeah. You can't just be like, oh, I'm gonna, I want to find this person's stuff consistently. Yeah. And then Instagram is Instagram. I mean, it just, you know, unless you're checking for someone's stories, you know, it is what it is. Twitter was the one thing where something would happen in the world and I'd be like, mm. I need to know what Twitter thinks about uh, Aretha Franklin's uh, funeral right now. Right. I need to know why Pat Poose and Remy Ma are breaking up. I yeah. need to know all of this. Right. And Twitter was, that is that spot. And until somebody in uh, a platform takes that place, it's yeah. just it's hard. Yeah. It's tough. Um, well, you can find me and us on X <laughs> Twitter. You can find me at JRSosa18 <laughs> on Twitter, and you can find me at JRSosa18 on Instagram. I've got comic stuff happening. I'll tell you when I can tell you about what that's going to be. Um, but oh, I can tell you that I think next month my Samurai Sonia run is going to be collected into like a trade, so you can get oh, yeah. all of that in one book. So that'll be out on October 20th, I believe. And then other things I can tell you about later. If you want to look us up on Twitter, it's white underscore pod. But you can also find us eventually on Instagram. Maybe threads. I don't know. We're going to figure this out. We'll be we'll be out here. We all in it together, <laughs> baby. Um, but yeah, that'll do it for us this week. And we'll catch you in two weeks for the next show. Peace. Peace.